what we learned in this episode. This episode contains language not suitable for children. This episode contains spoilers for Doro Hidoro. The views expressed in this episode do not reflect dub talk as a whole. What we're going to learn next episode is still lost in chaos. That is the Dub Talk Podcast. Listeners, oop, nope, wait, hold on. I gotta turn the stomp box off. <clears throat> Hello, listeners. Welcome. It's another episode of Dumb Talk. And do we have a show for you tonight? Maybe you were expecting something low key, slice of life, a little romance. I regret to tell you that you have picked the wrong episode. I don't know why you clicked on something with this uh, art on it, if you're expecting that. The Lizard Man should have been a tip-off. No, no, no. Uh, we, are, we are, in fact, going to take you on a little Mad Dash run to the world of Dorohidoro. The uh, MAPPA-produced 2019 hit anime uh, that has all the people clamoring and also just kind of confused and weirded out because what the fuck is going on? Uh, however, I'm not covering this by myself. Joining me here tonight are my good compatriots, Hardy. Exactly. Jet? Uh, I wish I had a plate of gyoza, but all I have is a Justin. <laughs> and Andrew. See, y'all are talking about eating gyoza. Some fucking sorcerer turned my head into a giant thing of gyoza, and now I don't even have a mouth anymore. All you hear are, like, my telepathic brain waves now because I have no mouth and I am gyoza. Hey, a- Andrew, Andrew, come here real quick. Come here. Just What? Just... What? 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 what come, come here. What? What? Oh, God! Oh, God! Oh, God! That's where my brains are. My brains are filled with pork dumpling sauce. Ah. Oh, your braids are delicious. Uh... And if you're listening at home, no, I regret to inform you, cannibalism is in fact not off the table in this show. So uh, we learned that pretty early on. Uh, so if you're disgusted by this, just leave now. It's not going to get any better. This is a show that is not for the squeamish. It's not, for the, it's not for the decent, either. Yeah, and it's also a lot sillier than it's granted it would apply. Like, you look at the show, you listen to a synopsis of the show, you look at the aesthetic, and you think this is going to be... How do, how do I describe this? Um, Normal. Linkin Park AMV-ish, yes. No, 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 no. Well, see, they're they're in the right ballpark, but not that kind of metal-influenced music from the late 90s and early 2000s, but I'll get to that much it's later. more like a Tool music video, if anything. I can see it. That's, pro- that's, pro- that's probably closer, I feel like Dorohidoro doesn't take itself as seriously as Tool does. With a little bit of gore mixed in for good measure. Actually, gore is a very good point of reference, now yeah. that I think about it. Like that, there you go. But what is Dorohidoro? What is it, indeed? Well, Dorohidoro is about a guy named Kaiman. 
Paimon's having a hard time with things because one day he woke up in an alley with a lizard head and no memory of what his deal was prior to that. It's very distressing. Uh, so he kind of has menial jobs in this place he lives called The Hole. A dingy, shitty little city that occasionally gets invaded by sorcerers from the next dimension over who basically use the populace there as guinea pigs for their magic. Um... Kaiman's just trying to find out what the fuck happened to his head. He's got a buddy, Nikaido. She runs a restaurant. She makes gyoza. They're pals. It's very charming. There's also this mob sorcerer family who want to kill Kaiman in part because he's weird and also he uh, he gorked one of their lackey's buddies who's still kind of bitter about it. Uh, chaos ensues. Chaos ensues really is the best way to describe this because they're... There's a setup. I would not really say there is a plot. There is setup. Every character has it's... history. Every character has backstory. Every character has relationship with other characters. Everybody's got their own deal. Everybody's got their own story. It's less about there is an end goal and more about you want to find out how these people got to be where they were and how they are now. Uh, basically, a... okay, yeah, basically, you could say this is a mystery, but it is very easily distracted. <laughs> it's it's the kind it's the kind of show where maybe the episode people were most excited about getting animated does have plot in it, but it's mostly about a baseball game. The baseball game is one thing, and then they're also throwing like fancy rich people parties. They're doing jobs like not even like uh, they, fancy jobs like they're, they're doing fighting, like like they're fighting zombies oh yeah there there's just a day where they just fight zombies and they they're just making money and winning like chuck e cheese prizes and there's a guy with a baked turkey on his head that's true the, everybody's got a mask everybody's like well, at least they're all COVID compliant. They are. Everybody is wearing a mask, and and I was like, uh, okay, I wrote, okay. Well, I mean, Fuji just doesn't cover his doesn't cover his mouth, so he's not good. Yeah, and, Shin, and, Sh- and Shin's has a big hole in it. So and then uh, the the guy that thinks he's N's partner, but N doesn't think he's his partner. His entire face is covered except his mouth. So there's a couple of exceptions to the rule, but I mean, let, let's let's be honest. None of these people would actually be afraid of a fatal disease. They just magic it away or something. See, or or they die from it as stupidity. One of the I'll two. say this: this is a show that knows that it has a world and power system that it can get away with casually, very casually brutalizing, murderizing, and slice and dicing. All of its characters with reckless abandon because it can fix them up pretty easily. Uh, little, so, asterisk, yeah. little asterisks there, but it's yeah. Like, uh, uh, yeah, it's like Looney Tunes or Tom and Jerry, just like a little gore here. You can have a little gore here as a treat. Anyways. Um, gentlemen, shall we get started? I'd love to, yes. Yes. Excellent. Uh, let us start with our staff. Uh, we uh, we do not have a credited scriptwriter per se on the show, but we do have ADR directors, and the ADR directors for the show are Bob Buckholtz and Megan Buckholtz. 
uh, who you know for their work on such shows as Devilman Crybaby, Penguin Highway, and Violet Evergarden, except for the OVA episodes, where Megan Buckholtz is the only credited director, and Bob Buckholtz is credited as adapter. Which I'm assuming basically means he does what at Funimation would be considered script writing, but it's mostly just massaging whatever the translator gives him into stuff that fits mouth flaps uh, or something like that. uh, Yeah, yeah, like, I mean, yeah, like, obviously, obviously we don't know for sure, but, like, based on the general track record I see with widespread dubs, it's very likely those two probably did the script themselves. That, I mean, that's always, that's always kind of been my assumption, is they probably do stuff that at other places we credited as scriptwriter, but in their instance, it's less heavy-duty, so they don't really get credited as that person. The important thing to note is that uh, this duo is... They're in charge of the behind-the-scenes shebang that makes this dub tick. Yes. Gentlemen, what did you think of the direction on this dub? Uh, Jet, you want to go first? Um, sure. Uh, so, typically, it's the case with me and Spicebread Dubs. I kind of mixed on the ADR stuff. Uh, I've been kind of critical of Spicebread Dubs, kind of tending to cast the same 20 or so actors in all their dubs previously. Uh, but they've gotten a little more creative on that end lately, and this dub is a pretty good example. Uh, there's some fun casting choices here, and while there's plenty of familiar faces, uh, there's also few who are doing something a little more outside of their wheelhouse and that's a lot of fun like i said so, uh, like we were talking about it tonight but i do appreciate chris smith doing his best pink panther impression of turkey that was really funny <laughs> uh the actual vocal direction here is pretty solid for the most part and while nothing here like blew me away on that end i don't think anyone was like directed badly i definitely felt like all the actors were given enough room to really start their stuff uh, script-wise, things are also pretty solid. Um, though this kind of had my other, like, ongoing issue with Splice Red Dubs and that their translations can sometimes be a little too overly literal. Uh, in the case of this show, it's not, like, a huge detriment because Zoro Hidora was kind of weird as they didn't begin with. Uh, so not only was there not a hold on the punch up, but in some ways, punching things up might have brewed the joke, so I guess it works. Uh, but if there's one thing that's kind of unacceptable script-wise and it sound, might sound a little weird coming from me, I felt like the characters maybe could have swore a little more. Like, I Wait, usually what? don't care hold. I felt like the characters maybe could have swore a little more. Like, I don't usually carry hold on about that. Uh, but given the super grungy atmosphere of the show, I was kind of expecting a little more of it. And it's kind of weird we never get, like, a single S or F bomb, which is kind of weird because, like, Kaiman particularly strikes me as the kind of guy who'd be dropping them literally all the time. Uh, like, it's not a big deal breaker in the grand scheme of things, but it's just kind of like a weird nitpick. See, uh, but on a whole... <laughs> see, my argument to that is this. While, yes, this is a violent, grungy... This is a violent, grungy, very dark universe. It's also kind of a little wholesome, too. Where I can believe... I can believe most of these people would casually murder, decapitate, and, like, decimate corpses by the hundreds... But I feel like I wouldn't see some of these characters drop an F-bomb in their life. Yes, I mean, okay, like, when I okay, again, when I say that, I'm mostly talking about Kaiman. Kaiman is the one who would definitely do that. Oh, Kaiman will fuck your shit up, of course. But, like, okay. like look at no- Noe. Noe would not say a bad swear word in her life. I don't believe it. Like she, she would not say those naughty words. She, she would put a quarter in a swear jar. Sorry, I know, I know, I know where 
we're very much going away from the point you were raising, but that's that's my thinking of it. Okay, eh, but yeah, on the whole, I dug it up. Like, it's not quite my favorite of the year, or even my favorite spice friend of the year, but uh, I definitely had a lot of fun with it. And I'm done. Alright. Uh, Hardy, would you like to go next? Yeah, sure. Um, I like the Butch the Buckholtz work. Uh, they've done, they've sort of formed a name for themselves as being the go-to directors for Netflix dubs these days. And uh, they haven't always been my favorite, but they do good job. Um, they, they do a good job. I can't braid anymore. Um, yeah, I think that there were some really good casting choices of both old and new talent, and um, there were some really bold uh, vocal directions for certain characters, uh, like, say... Uh, the Pink Panther, or the or the openly effeminate character, or just came in screaming his lungs out at every possible turn. Uh, I, there wasn't anything that I would say was badly cast, and everything was fairly good fun to listen to, and I enjoyed it. Um, I'm not the type who really pays attention to the script writing, and I didn't see any real faults among it, so I think it was a relatively good job. All right. Andrew? Um, I will definitely say that not every... Spl- I-, I feel like some of the criticisms that Jet was talking about earlier about some of the earlier Splice Bread projects, some of those criticisms, I think, still are a little apparent, specifically the fact that they have like a smaller talent cast pool that they're very comfortable with using, and there's definitely a couple of familiar faces in a lot of their other projects I've here in this, but... I'll definitely say within the past year or two, they've definitely been expanding their talent pool. I don't know if that's like because of the fact that a lot of Netflix dub projects are going union now or if they're just they've got production people that are outwardsly trying to break the mold and get new fresher talent. But I will definitely say this has a pretty, pretty cool cast, all things considered. It's... This is a wild show. It's a wacky show. It's an... It is pure chaos and insanity. But it does not... I will say for the most part, it is not a show that really... emphasizes it or makes it seem like a full-on wacky cartoon world. With the exception of maybe a couple of characters. And those were the ones that I think... took me out of the show a little bit more. Is that... This is a wacky show, but these people need to sound like this is a world they fit in or a world they've adapted to. And when you've got psycho killers, people who work on magic corpses, uh, people who can turn people into magic items, kick people's ass, decapitate them, slice and dice, this is a world that is full-on chaos, and the cast really shows their stuff. There's a couple of pretty good performances, and there's a couple of genuinely great performances that have blown me away, some of which I'd even argue are career highlights for at least one or two of them in particular. Even a couple of veteran people who are playing roles and vocal performances, I'm really, really not accustomed for them. I think there's no real, like, major glaring script problems, but I will say this. I will give extra praise in one regard, in that this was one of the earlier projects that was recorded entirely from home like this is a post 
COVID recorded dub where the entire cast and crew was doing this project from their home recording booths. And most of the time, you would never even notice this. You would put this on and you genuinely probably would not be able to tell. With the exception of like one genuinely glaring actor where it's like I hear their mic quality and you can tell they're having some difficulties with their setup. This is not this is not like a detriment. This is not a fuck this dub 0 out of 10. It's just this is a dub that was recorded in the early days when people were actively adapt adapting and starting to do a home recording setup. And while most of this project is kind of spotless and really sounds clean and high quality given the circumstances, there's like one particular actor's mic quality that's a little bit jarring and noticeable and I will definitely bring it up when we refer to them. That being said, this is a really interesting cast. This is a really interesting show and Bob and Megan are very reliable at what they do and I think there's some really fun, insane, and very memorable performances in this ensemble of chaos. Alright. Uh, as for me, uh, I'm, I'm at a... I'm at a... The, sh the dub is at an advantage here, which is that Dora DeHoro is exactly my kind of stupid nonsense. Uh, you put this on, it's like, oh, it's a show for me. It's very much... How, how nice of them. It's very much Amon brand, without a doubt. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's weird and trashy and grungy. If it were made in the 70s, the OP would be a cramp song. It's great. Uh... <laughs> And I th I like I enjoyed the dub a lot. Uh, usually, a lot of times for, often kind of my one of my overall yardsticks for a dub is just how much do I feel this dub fits the thing I'm watching on screen. And I thought this worked really well. I thought it did a good job of capturing the fact that the world of Dora Dohoro is horrifying, but it's also just kind of baseline baseline reality for most of these people. It's like. Yeah, sorcerers might turn you into something, and you might die. That's just kind of what happens. Thumbs the bricks! Like, you can't really do anything about them. They're there, they're more powerful. Oh well. Maybe the doc can uh, remove that mushroom off your back and go about your life, and maybe you'll die. It happens. Uh, and, and I thought it did a weird, weirdly good job of capturing that kind of... accepted fatalism. Uh, just, yeah, shit's weird. If I, it's... Shrug. You know, you know what it is? It's kind of like the... It's the expectation versus reality of nihilism. It's basically the filtered black and white image, nothing in life matters expectation. And then it's just the hyper-stylized 90s rainbow clip art with a kid giving you a thumbs up. Yeah, nothing in life matters. That's Doro Hidoro. <laughs> Yeah, you're not wrong. So it's a grungy Lisa Frank? Yeah, that exists. <sighs> Time to go look for clip out to put in the episode. Anyways. Um, <laughs> it's like Lisa yeah. Frank meets the garbage pail kids. Oh. Ooh. Oh, that's... Oh, I hate I hate how right you oh, are. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. You're bringing the garbage pail kids into this? Oof. Ugh. He's not wrong. That's the sad part. You're not, Anyways. and I hate you for it. Yeah, no, I, I, I enjoyed watching this dub a lot. Uh, I, thought, I thought the cast was really well done. I had a lot of fun watching it. Uh, I didn't I didn't have a lot of issues with sound quality. It's mostly because I watched like 90% of my anime on my laptop, which I'm not even sure is in stereo, frankly. So, sorry, not my laptop, my tablet. So the speakers are even worse. 
so long as it's audible, I'm usually happy with it, so... Uh, yeah, like, I think this is really solid. I, if nothing else, I think you wanna, you wanna watch this weird fucking show Netflix keeps pushing at you? This is a fine way to watch it. Go check it out. Uh, and with that, shall we move on to our first cast of characters? Let's, yes. let's talk about the, the characters of Dorohidoro. Alright. <clears throat> we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna cover that oh-so-important character, category. Minor characters. because uh, they're there. Starting off, we have Tanba. Tamba owns a restaurant called Restaurant Tamba. Uh, Kaiman works there briefly. Tamba dresses like a panda. He briefly gets into a meat pie selling contest with a former employee of his who casts love potions on people up until the point where it stops working. Oops. Uh, we have Fukuyama, who also works at this restaurant. He's a nice guy. He's friends with Kaiman. He wears a ski mask. There's also the third employee there, but they don't speak, so we're not going to talk about them. <laughs> because they don't have an actor. Uh, we have Asu. Asu is this big devil who works for another devil we'll get to in a minute. Uh, he has a connection to Nikaido. He likes Nikaido. They're pals. He'll go on a limb for her. He's a big scary guy. He'll go out on a limb. Uh, he'll take out a limb for her. You know. Something like that. Uh, we have uh, Chitaruma. He is the ruler of hell. He's functionally God. Oh, is that what his deal is? Okay. Yeah, he's, he's, I actually, I read a little bit on the Wikipedia article. Yeah, he's basically God. Cool! That's his deal. Okay. Uh, he, he's, he's not, you, you wouldn't expect that from looking at him. He wears like a, he wears like a, what do you call it? A hoodie and like no pants, because n none of the devils in this universe really dress all that well. He, he looks like, uh, he looks like what you would expect a heavy metal biker would look like. Yeah. <laughs> he looks like the mascot for a fifth-rate metal band from like... Uh, Indiana. Uh, I mean, he doesn't. I mean, he wouldn't look out of the place if fits in a North Star either. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> Can't argue with that. Also, importantly to the plot, he makes contracts between magic users, uh, which is like a special bond they share. Uh, I get into more here, but it's complicated, and I don't remember that part very well. So just go watch the show, and it'll explain better than I can. And uh, we have Risu. Risu's interesting. Uh, we forgot to mention earlier, one of the problems Kaimon has is he has a man living in his throat. Uh, and if he bites people on the head, the man in his throat will look at them and inform the person he's bitten if they are the person who gave Kaimon a lizard head. And then Kaimon will stop biting on their head and ask them, what did the guy in my throat tell you? And he'll say yes or no, and things will go from there. Uh, that's Risu. Uh, and we also we also uh, run into him in a few other places. He's very mysterious. What is his deal? Watch the show and find out. And then wait for season two or read the manga, whichever you prefer, and you can find out some more if you're impatient. Playing these characters. Tanba is played by Taylor Henry, who you know for such roles as uh, Giliano Flip in BNA Brand New Animal, Fujimaki in Megalobox, and of course, uh, Le Comte de Monte Cristo in Gankutsu, The Count of Monte Cristo. Fukuyama is played by Michael Chapman. You know him for roles such as Meguno in B-Stars, Masura in High Score Girl, and Tetsu in In This Corner of the World. I saw a few places that claim this is the same Michael Chapman who co-created co uh, Homestar Runner. I could find zero evidence that that is actually true, but I, uh, I don't know, maybe. It's possible, but that's one of those what-the-actual-hell things that I'm not sure I 100% believe. Yeah, like, I, I know he does work in L.A. in animation, uh, but he is not the one of the brothers who did most of the voice acting, and, I mean, Michael Shackman's not exactly an uncommon name, so who knows. 
Um, Asu is played by Todd Haverkorn, you know, for roles such as Komiya and Agretzko. A character on Attack on Titan whose name I didn't write down here. And Furio uh, Porcianenzo, I'm sorry, Italian speakers, in Bacchino. Uh, Shiruma is... Yes. I was going to say, I think I know exactly which Attack on Titan character you're talking about, but they're... They're around. I, look, I haven't watched Attack on Titan since season one. Nothing you say will make any sense to me, I assure you. Just say uh, that he's Natsu in Fairy Tale. Oh yeah, he's Natsu in Fairy Tale. Natsu. Uh, Shiruma is played by Chris Smith, uh, who you know for such roles as Kinosuke Kuzuhara in Da 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 Da. Kitan in Gurren Lagann, and Aldo in Violet Evergarden. He also voices the character of Turkey, who we're not talking about today because he only shows up for about mm, five to seven minutes. He cooks a naked uh, noi. He cooks a ca naked yes, he, noi, which he, you know he what. Can, he can make he can make dolls of people, so which will then like go to whoever the person is, and he uh, illustrates this by making noi in front of Shin, and this clone of noi does not have any clothing, and Shin is very embarrassed by this whole situation. Uh, I would imagine Andrew most Su. people would be. I'm sure. And Risu, who is played by Billy Kometz, who you know for such roles as Anai and Agretzko, Josuke Higashikata, Higashikata in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Diamond is Unbreakable, and Galothymos in Promare. Timos. Timos, thank you. I haven't actually watched it dub, so I have no idea how it's pronounced. Thank he you. He does have thighs um, for days, though. It's fine. Jet, would you like to start us again? Uh, sure, I don't have uh, no for any of these characters, and uh, I'll be real quick with this. Uh, Taylor Henry sure. is Tanba. Uh, first and foremost, since this is such a good union now, I'm kind of surprised he's going by that name, but uh, I guess it is what it is. Uh, anyway, uh, I thought he was uh, really fun as Tanba. Uh, he's always really good at playing really gruff characters, so uh, this was definitely really in his wheelhouse. Uh, and he did a really good job of just making Tanba. Uh, come off as just like this really uh, and this really kind of gruff and tough manager guy. So uh, he beats up Kaiman a lot, but he has a good he has a good heart. He looks after Kaiman in his own way. And, so, and I appreciate it when like Kaiman like gives him his whole story. He agrees to help Kaiman out even if he uh, even if he isn't exactly nice about it. I also appreciate the puzzle like, at the end when like Kaiman finally stops working for him and Todd like, hey, well that's alright, you know, like I never actually paid you for anything. It's like, oh wow. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> Unions? Workers' rights? What are those? Those don't exist in the hall. Technically, no, he wasn't even from the soul hole. He was from the world of the sorcerers, which I can only... Oh, I'm, sure, I'm sure the laws are much better there. Are they? Are they? That was sarcasm, Andrew. Okay, fair. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, Michael Chapman as uh, Fukuyama, uh, he didn't leave like too, too big of an impression on me, but not only was... Uh, I thought it was... He sounded pretty nice. He... Uh, he was a pretty good bro to Kaiman. He uh, that he helped out a little bit when like Kaiman was in the world of sorcerers. So I thought they had a pretty, uh, I thought I thought they had a pretty decent dynamic. Like and also like Kaiman, he gets beat up by Tanba uh, here a lot, but so, uh, but, so, uh, but yeah, you can tell he has a lot of respect for him. So I thought uh, Michael got that across pretty well. I don't have uh, too much else to say on that, but yeah. Uh, Todd Habercord is Asu, and we don't see too, too much of Asu in the show, but I thought he had a pretty good dynamic with Nikaido. We don't know what their exact history is, but you can tell he does carry a lot about her, and he's willing to look out for her. Uh, so, um, so, 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 I thought their, so I thought their dynamic was pretty sweet. I also 
Ultimately, he doesn't interact with too many of the other characters too much. I thought he did a pretty good job of bouncing off of them. I was also kind of like all his little bits with Jonah. I thought they had a pretty fun dynamic for how Lola interacted. <laughs> Especially when he just kind of like coerces Jonah into like doing all into doing whatever he wants. I thought that whole thing was pretty funny. And yeah, I really do want to see more of Azu. So yeah, hopefully we get another season. And uh, Chiri Dharma, I actually was not expecting him to be as important as I'm on the screen, but uh, either way, Chris Smith <laughs> was definitely a lot of fun here. He does a really good job of just making him sound really grungy and nasty, which was uh, definitely a lot of fun to listen to. And uh, knowing that this guy is like apparently in charge of everything kind of makes it funnier, especially with how like completely silly he looks. Uh, but either way, Chris, but either way, Chris Smith was uh, definitely a lot of fun as him. So uh, I'm definitely looking forward to, so, uh, again, I hope we get to see more of him in the future. And uh, lastly, uh, Billy commences Risu. Uh, this is, uh, yeah, this character is kind of pretty within, is kind of pretty close within Billy commences usual wheelhouse. And uh, he does a really good job of kind of making him sound like a, it's like, and not like a total dude, bro, but like a little bit of a gruff, like a little bit of a rougher dude. So, so, uh, so, it's not, so it's not too surprising when you find out he has, like, a little bit of a rougher background and that, like, he's... And that, uh, he's one of those sorcerers who can't, like, uh, put out a lot of smoke, so I thought that whole backstory was uh, kind of interesting. We don't learn... As I, uh, we don't learn too, too much about his history, but, uh, what we do... As I, uh, but what we do get kind of... As I, uh, kind of paints him as a guy who's... And who's, uh, who's just kind of doing his best to get by in the world, and I think Billy gets that across pretty well. And I'm, de and I'm definitely curious to learn more about him, and especially uh, whatever weird connection he has to Kaiman. I mean, I also thought he did, like, a pretty good job bouncing off of, like, Ed's crew for how little he was with them in the show, I thought. <laughs> I thought he did a pretty good job of busting their chops while they were just, like, really desperate to get any information out of them, and he was just completely clueless about Billy's delivery there was pretty funny. Uh, but, uh, yeah, on a whole, I liked all these performances. They were pretty fun. Okay. Uh, Hardy, you want to go next? Okay. Uh, I don't really have much to say about this group, because the only ones who really stand out to me, the only one who really stands out is Tanba, because that's your basic gruff, um, bossy sort of, uh, you know, heavy Taylor Henry role that he's very famous for. Uh, he's a lot of fun to listen to, but I mean, this isn't, we've heard him play this character so many times and he's basically got it down pat. So, um, it's nothing new or exciting here, but he does it really well. Uh, Fukuyama is just sort of a background character. I didn't really pay much attention to him. So there's that. Um, <laughs> Asu is basically Todd Habercorn's slow sort of menacing voice. Uh, but even so he's sort of got this like like naturally paternal tone to it when he re when he reacts with when he interacts with Nikaido he sort of has this uh, this sort of more of a gentle giant sort of voice to it but he's also very he can also be very um, um, uh, frightening uh, when, when someone calls him a bastard he goes do you want to go to hell He'll give he'll give he'll give Nikaido and Nikaido alone a big hug, and the rest of you he'll probably just you know stab you with your pitchfork and right. D 
decapitate you and send you to hell. Yes, yes, I yeah. Um, I have a confession to make. Sure. I completely don't remember the character of Chidarma, like at <laughs> he's all. Only in, he's only in like one episode. So. Uh, like I don't know how I missed out on this, but I cannot. I don't even recall what he looks like. He 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 legit looks like a much more like stereotypical demon satanic kind of guy who's wearing a leather jacket he's the guy that is they that, signed the contracts for when they sort yeah. of as, uh, is, uh, yeah like he was there and like Nori's backstory if you like remember the ones he was interacting with okay yeah it's been a while I only watched the last three episodes tonight to just sort of uh, remember how I got them or what I thought of the majority of the performances but I watched the whole thing like months ago so no, it's there's cool. a lot I miss yeah yeah. Yeah. And uh Billy Kmetz as Risu, he just shows up too late for me to really care. Um but uh when you do realize that he is the one spoilers who's in Cayman's mouth, um he you do sort of get more of a menacing tone from him. And I like how the very last words of the entire series are him going, "You are" and then it get, cuts it off. So I mean, I don't have much to say about it, but these these were all good performances. All right. Uh, Andrew? Uh, I think I'll start with Fukuyama because I was kind of alluding to it a little earlier, but when I was watching this today, I was watching, like, the last couple episodes today, I genuinely think that Michael Chapman's audio setup was not up to snuff compared to the rest of this cast. It's got... Like, there's just something about the quality of his dialogue when he's talking to characters right next to him that sounds a lot more, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, but it sounds a little more... Lossy? Lossy, yeah, kind of. Like, how do I describe it? It's jarring when he's next to Kaiman, because Kaiman is literally wearing a mask that is covering his face and distorts his audio and muffles it. And his... Kaiman does not sound as muffled as the character next to him. And that was kind of jarring to me on a technical level. I will give benefit of the doubt in that Dorohidoro, time-wise of when it would probably be... It, it was maybe cast before it, but timeline of like actually recording and doing it was maybe, like, as people were really starting to set it out, like, I guarantee you a lot of these actors' home setups are way more updated and improved than they were when they started recording Dora Hidoro. I will give that benefit of the doubt. Sorry? I think Christina V uh, paid, like, $12,000 total on her setup or something like that. It's insane. Oh, there's people that straight up bought, like, entire booths, but there's also people that just, like, basically DIY'd their own booths. Because, like, watching the Funimation do it from home, like, Tia's is just a closet that she can just kind of shimmy through, and she makes it work. You don't necessarily need a giant, like, you don't need a cube of voice but if you want a Cuba voice, you fucking can. Go for it. It's just, like I said, I'm, I'm going to be a little lenient to this because this was an early pre, like post-COVID dump. But I feel it's a little jarring, and if it either gets updated on Netflix or a future home video release, I feel like maybe some of Michael's 
audio needs to be updated and like improved and tweaked. But I think Michael does a good job sounding like a nice sweet boy in Fukuyama. Uh, I think Todd does a decent job sounding like a kind of like creepy menacing devil guy who's friends with Nikaido and the demon's a cool character. He does a good job. Uh, Chris Smith, he's a great actor. He does a good job as Chidaruma and he also does a great job as the turkey man who's just this very strange character. Um, Billy Kometa's Risu. Risu is so goddamn strange. At the beginning of the show, I actually thought Risu had the same voice actor as Kaiman, but it is a different voice actor. Stars, stars, I, start as I, as soon as I, sorry, I'm a little brain too. Blech. I once I started to hear it was Billy Kometa, I was like, oh yeah, no, that's Billy. It sounds like a much more uh. This is a Billy that will kind of pull a knife out and steal your money. This this is not this is not the friendly uh, this is not the friendly Gallo Timos or the Ferdinand von Eyer. This is the Billy Kometz that would probably kill Batman's parents. Eesh. <laughs> I don't mean that that is not a diss on the voice. I mean that like literally this is a character who's got in with a bad crowd and you can tell he's been with a bad crowd cuz he's he's dead. He's He's literally died, and he is now alive again with a robotic body that Ed just threw money at to try and figure out what the hell Kaiman's deal is. And then he ran away, and now he's just on the run. But he's a little stingy, he's a little suspicious, he's a little darker and grungier than I usually hear from Billy. It's a very familiar voice of Billy, but it's a little bit on the darker, like, ooh, you've got some darkness in your soul. And, of course, he's got a mystery. What the fuck's his deal? But, yeah, Billy does a great job. Tanba! Taylor Henry. I love Taylor Henry. And Tanba's a very pleasant character I was not expecting to like as much as I did. He's just... He's an asshole. But he's an asshole that means well. He basically just... Kaiman is some weirdo he meets off the street. And Kaiman was basically gonna go homeless and hungry. And he's like, yo... Work at my shop. I'll feed you. Like, he's basically working there for free. And that's why it's kind of, like, a very sweet relationship. Like, he's he's got tough love on the brain. He's not the most affectionate guy, but he means well. And he genuinely, like, Taylor just has the, like, with this very jovial, like, manly bravado tone of voice to him where he'll kick your ass a little bit, but... He'll give you a life lesson or two and let you know where he comes from and that he means well. And he hopes you'll find the girl you're looking for and that you have a good life and you enjoy his pies. And you don't, don't worry about the money I owe you. You can, don't worry. <laughs> it's like, hey, I didn't. Really, don't worry. Don't worry about it. I'll just hang out to him for now. Go I'll ahead. Hang Go on to, I'll hang out. on to your cut of the, I'll cut of the, cut of the funds. It's fine. I'll do it for you, buddy. It's okay. Like. He's a little bit of a shady, he's a shady shopkeeper, but he makes a good business and he makes a good product. How many of those products are other people, by the way? Because we've established Fukuyama can just turn other people into meat pies on a whim, which... By the way, I, just because there's no other way to really talk about that, I love the way Dora Hidoro basically splices in, like three interconnecting storylines all happening at the same time 
and just brings all these characters in the same place. Because Kaiman, Kaiman and his meat pie squad, that's what I'm going to call them, the meat pie squad, run into a group of assassins. And that group of assassins were trying to take out Shin and Noi. Because, like, they were basically going to kidnap Shin and kill him. But then, like, they run into Kaiman and he drops his giant gyoza. And then they have a fight and then he kills both of them. He kills one of them, and then the other guy gets turned into a giant meat pie, which gets eaten later by a dog in Ebisu, which gives them diarrhea later. And then, like, uh, meanwhile, Risu is just gathering around this festival while there's commotion going on, and he finds Noe's body, which is basically in this anti-magic container, which sets her free and brings the plot back together. It's like, it's a level of fun character interconnection that, in a weird way, reminds me of, like, Ryogo Naruto stuff. Like, Ryogo Narta, in regards to Bakano and Durarara. That's kind of a weird tangent, but it reminds me of that. And I think... Okay, back to my original point. Uh, Taylor Henry. Gruff. Buff. Will kick your ass. Tough love. Does not care if he's working for free. It's fine. Anyways, I'm done. Excellent. Uh, or is I going to go with this? Uh, yeah, this is a good set of characters. Uh, Taylor Henry, he plays a good shopkeeper. He's a lot of fun. Uh, Michael Chackman, he's just he's just a nice swell guy. I don't know if these characters show up again later. I kind of hope they do, just because they're 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 fun support characters. I hope they return. Uh, Ted Habercorn is vague and menacing, which I appreciate. Chris Smith is vague and not as menacing as you'd expect God to be, which kind of makes sense in Dora Hidoro. Of course, God kind of is sort of unimpressive. That that checks out. Uh, and I, I like Billy Kavetz. He, he, he really sells just like Risu as like, yeah, he was a, just kind of a shitty fifth-rate gang no one cared about, and that was just kind of his life until he got murdered. I feel like that's how a lot of people's lives go in this world. <laughs> it, you didn't do a lot, and then you died. Yeah. So tough, sad. Tough luck. Pretty much. And and you, you probably had a few friends who'll feel sad, but by and large, the world at large will not care. R.I.P. Anyways, uh, except these on a robot body now. But anyways, uh, on to our next set of characters. Uh, we have more important characters. <laughs> We're still kind of side characters. Uh, we have Kasukabe. Kamikaze is a 64-year-old man who has the face of a boy because of sorcery magic. Uh, he's basically a mad scientist. Uh, he can make magic doors. He gets up to what generally seems like no good because, I mean, look at him. He looks like no one he is, looks like no. one of those internet ads where it's like doctors hate him. He's actually so and so, but he looks like twenty. Oh, I was actually gonna say that any, anyone in this magic heavy world who wears a lab coat is absolutely up to no good, and you should either be his friend or stay far, far away. Touché. He looks like he looks like someone who did something, but he refuses to say what or where it happened. Absolutely. Uh, he also has a buddy. His name is Johnson. Johnson is a seven-foot-tall cockroach who yells shocking all the time. <laughs> Which apparently apparently is a very obscure reference to a one-shot that uh, Q Hayashida did before Dora Hidora. Really? Or or so says the internet. She did one she did one where I think a character was watching a baseball game and their beloved uh it's the Tigers, who I forget where they're from in Japan, uh, but I think they lose or something, and they just yell. They just they just they express their shock by just yelling, "Shock!" Oh yeah. Also, you just mentioned something I actually forgot about. This is written by a woman, isn't it? Yes, it is. That explains a couple of things, actually. 
That explains nothing. It explains nothing, but everything at once. Uh, uh, Johnson. He's a cockroach. Uh, we have Vox. Uh, he's a, he is a doctor. He actually specializes in helping people who are victims of uh, magic use by sorcerers. He's basically Kaiman's boss for a good chunk of this. Uh, he's not really as well equipped for the whole, you know, fighting thing, but he, he does okay with himself. Uh, and then we have 13. Uh, 13 is a regular at the Hungry Bug, which is the restaurant that Nikaido owns. Uh, Kaiman is very jealous of him because he's very handsome, and he clearly has kind of a thing for Nikaido, which Nikaido probably doesn't reciprocate, but Kaiman's a little too jealous to acknowledge that. Uh, in a normal story, 13 would probably be the hero, but Dorohidoro is not a normal story, so he gets to be a punchline. 13 just walks into the show because he wants to fuck Nikaido, and then he basically just gets jobbed for the entire rest of the show. Yep. Which, you know what? <laughs> That's kind of perfect, to be honest. Job is a good word. There's a lot of professional wrestling in this show that I hadn't thought about. It's got that... It's that... It's that same... Part of that same trash culture the show is writing. Um, but who are voicing these characters, you might ask? Well, let me tell you. Uh, Kazukabe is voiced by Griffin Burns, who you know for such roles as Jintana and Anohana, Akira Fuda in Devilman Crybaby, and Dopio in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Golden Wind. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Johnson is played by Joseph Wims, who you know for such roles as Prime Minister Shiromizu in BNA Brand New Animal, uh, Yochiro Amiyama in Forest of Piano, and Seichiro Muta in Revisions. Vox is played by Michael Sorich, who you know for such roles as Takahashi in Agent, uh, Shinsuke Tanba in Knights of Sidonia, and Dimple in Mob Psycho 100. And 13 is played by Johnny Young Bosch. Never heard- Johnny Young Bosch has been- Never heard of him. He's, 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 <laughs> you may have heard of him. He's been in a few things here and there, such as Izaya Orihara in Dirarara, Haruo Yaguchi in High Score Girl, and Sabo in One Piece, and like 8 billion other things, because he's been working for like, what, 30 years at this point or something? It's absurd. He's been around yes, the block. he's also a piece of delicious- He's a piece of delicious bacon. Yes! That's his finest role. His finest role, chop, chop bacon. Yes, and he likes pancakes. It's true. Uh, uh, Jet, would you like to start us off again? Uh, sure. Uh, I'll start with uh, Joseph Wins and Johnson because uh, he only really has one line shocking, but he pieces that one line really well and it's really funny. <laughs> and I'm just going to get a, I, I get a, I get a kick out of his entire existence. It's like. You don't know why he's there, but it's just very delightful. Uh, Johnny Young Bosch is uh, 13. 13 gets introduced kind of late into the show, but uh, Johnny does a really good job of making him seem kind of very casually thirsty for Nikaido. And, and I think his tone there is kind of funny. It's kind of fun in like a little bit of a dude bro way. And which makes it all the funnier when he just spends the rest of the show getting jobbed for basically existing. <laughs> like, like, he, like he had almost zero involvement and he still ends up getting kidnapped with everyone else. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> Being 13 is suffering. He's the oh, unlucky yeah. number. <laughs> it's uh, true, he is, isn't he? I hadn't yeah. thought about that. Uh, yeah, but I yeah, I thought Daddy was a lot of fun here. Uh, Michael's, uh, Michael Zorich is Vox. Uh, this is a very Michael Zorich character in that he... Sorry, and that he and that he comes off as very gruff and kind of like maybe a little scuffy, but he has a but he has a good uh, but he's like pretty good nature deep down and like you can tell he's 
Yeah, you can know he's looking. You can know he's looking out for time, and he if he isn't like particularly nice about it. I think that Michael gets it across really well. As I, as I, I also kind of like how well he kind of bounces off the other characters. Like, as I, I like Shane in particular. Like when we learn a little bit more about Shane's history, and then they meet up again. As I, I think it does a really good job of like sounding concerned, but like, but more in like a very tired way. Like, as I, where it's like, where it's like, eh, where it's like, where it's like, come on, you're like. Oh, it's like, come on, you don't really need to be involving yourself in this. Like, it's exhausting, just don't do it. And I think that Michael gets that across really well, and he's a lot of fun. And then Griffin Burns as uh, Yukasabe, who is also introduced so, so a little late, but he's a lot of fun. He's a very odd, he's a very odd, odd man, and uh, definitely a bad scientist. And then Griffin does a really good job of just kind of making him sound like, where he sounds quote-unquote nice, but there's just something a little unhinged about him, and I think that, like, Griffin gets that across really well. I think my favorite bit is, like, when he... Is that when he does the whole thing of, like, saving Jin and his backstory, and then he up again, and Jin's, like, really grateful. And then Jin asks him, like, man, do you just really like going out of your way to help people? And then he's like, well, yeah, actually, you know, not really. All I care about is research. <laughs> Yeah, so I thought that. Uh, so I thought that whole thing was pretty fun. I also just like, got a really whole good bit about how he just kind of gradually breaks out of prison, and then like I mean, and how he, and how like many of the other characters in this show, he will definitely not hesitate to shoot if someone gets in his way. And this is like, and this image of this weird, this images of this weird guy holding someone at gunpoint was really hilarious. So that was a good kick, and uh, yeah, I definitely enjoyed all of these characters. All right, uh, Hardy. Uh, yes, Johnson says shocking, but um, and that's basically his only line. But he also provides a lot of the weird visceral sound effects that uh, Johnson is responsible for. So, and, and people really take that kind of thing for granted because it can be just as grueling on the voice as actual voice acting can be. So, mm. yeah. Uh, from what I heard, those little uh, ooh, uh, those are done like twenty times per for every I, for every um. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't you don't get to do it once and loop it. You need to do it every single time it happens. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Walla is not an easy job, mm. but uh, I mean, basically, Frank Welker has made his entire existence, his living off of doing stuff like that. If you want to go back and watch the behind the scenes, uh videos of the lion king where he's basically roaring into a giant uh a, a giant tin bowl sound design oh, wow. is a sound design is a thankless but integral part of the sound design production yeah mm. and so johnson is a character with his seven foot seven foot tall cockroach and his one sneaker <laughs> oh yeah he's just got one sneaker right well, I mean, he's he is a thing in the show, so kudos to that. Um, Thirteen is the butt monkey. I only remember him for one being turned into a mushroom, and two getting toothpicks shoved into his face from the gyoza fairy. Which can we talk about the gyoza fairy just a little bit? You know what? We can yeah, talk sure, about the gyoza ahead. fairy. Yes, because that is pure Ben Diskin right there. If you had to point to a role and say. Give me a a hammy Ben Diskin roll. 
It's just so strange where he's just like, he wants people to really appreciate the love and craft that goes into gyoza. And then he just fucking, like, stabs everybody who doesn't. Stop trying to flirt with this bitch! Eat your food, fucker! Eat it! Yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, I guess 13 is sort of just the butt monkey of of the show, and he doesn't really make an impression, but Johnny plays him okay, I suppose. Um, v- Michael Sorek as Vox, Vox uh, I liked him a lot. You know, he's, he's the no-nonsense kind of guy who, he's just trying to keep everyone alive, but at the same time, he's just... He's just trying to keep a, himself out of danger and just kind of want to take care of himself, but also kind of want to take everyone, care of everyone else at the same time. Sort of like the the grumpy dad of the group. And uh, and that's the kind of role that Sorek has played a lot in his uh, mm. in his career, and it's it, he's really good at it. Ka- Griffin Burns as Kasukabe, like I said, you he gives off the impression... You know he did something wrong, but he won't say what it is, and he won't say where it happened. He's sort of got and this... And there's a good chance he doesn't even really acknowledge that it was wrong in the first place? Yeah. No, there's this, this stock image of this baby that is simply called Koi Smile, where it's this little baby looking directly at the camera, <laughs> and he's got this, like, smile on his face, like, I did something, I'm not gonna tell you what I did. But uh, and that's that basically is the description of Kasukabe as a character. But um, I like how Griffin plays into where like I could do that for you, but I don't think you're gonna like it. <laughs> yeah, so he was a fun character to listen to. All right, oh, you're done, right? Yeah, I'm done. Cool, uh, Andrew. It it says a lot that there is just a giant freaky bug man in this universe. Not only is he just a one-off like villain. He he effectively gets kidnapped by Kusakabe and he starts controlling him through shock therapy and then they decide the first time this comes up again is because they need an extra player on their baseball team. <laughs> yeah. That is Doro Hidoro. <laughs> there's, just, there's just a giant seven-foot cockroach man, and they're, they decide to take him out of the closet because, hey, we need a new baseball guy. Sure. What's he gonna do? It's not cheating if he's got six arms, right? Can he... Actually, do, you think that... That's actually like a plus where it's like, okay, he can't catch the ball, but he makes up for it in his running speed. It must be like, it, it must be like tier, like a fucking Mario Kart game or something like that, where it's like, his speed is great, but his handling is shit. You are putting far too much thought into this. This No, no, it's the stupidest answer that's the correct one. The stupidest answer is, what if we have a bug play sports? There's nothing in the rule book that says a seven-foot cockroach can't play baseball. This is true. This is true. Anyways, Joseph Webb is shocking. And yeah, no, it's a very underappreciated aspect, but he makes a lot of really fun, gross-sounding, creepy cockroach noises. And he does a very good job. What, what is this? Oh, God. Hardy just posted <laughs> the fucking picture, and... Ah. Yep. 
Oh, that that child's been up to nothing, nothing, nothing productive or good. You know what? Just just because I'm thinking about it right now, let's let's move on to Kusakabe. Kusakabe looks like the. Okay, how do I describe Kusakabe? Kusakabe in any other show would be an Izaya Orihara, where he'd be a master planner, where he's got some sort of, like, he's got at least a couple of skeletons, a couple of massacres, and maybe one human experimentation. No, actually, this dude's probably got, like, 20-plus human experimentations. But he's not even a bad guy. He's just the kooky doctor. He's just the kooky doctor who looks like he would be like a high school hot topic employee. I hate you're not wrong. Like, come on! If you saw like if you saw this kid in real life, you would go to the mall and he would be telling you about the new My Chemical Romance CD that came out while showing you how many piercings he's got. I mean, I'm pretty sure I saw this kid on, like, the last train out of Boston on the Green Line once, so yeah. It's like, exactly! This is, like, some teenage kid who's discovering all, like, the... He's not even discovering, like, he's discovering the Metal Screamo stuff. That's what he looks like. And Griffin plays him like such a sweet little boy. Like, he's just a very friendly... Hello, friends! I hope you're having a swell day. He plays with it with, with such light brevity to his tone of voice and he's just a lot of fun but he's also probably kind of a monster and he's like hey because like you first see his interaction with shin and shin was basically just a poor kid that got fucked by the system and was forced to be like a murderer on the run and it's just like oh hey you're missing all of your arms you need a hand with that I wasn't even trying to make a pun, but that, yeah, no, this guy would totally make a pun. It's being like, hey, can you pick your nose like that? No. Yeah, let me help you with that. He's just kind of an asshole who means well. But Griffin plays him with this such calming, like, friendly charisma, and I love it. Um, I'll move on to Johnny Young Bosch in Access 13, where 13, 13 sucks, and he, and like, the show knows he sucks. Like, it, like, Kaiman is the only dude who would be insecure by him because 13 kind of looks like a human, what a human Kaiman would be. Like, he's, he's the, he is the Kaiman he thinks people want. Like, this kind of, like, smug, somewhat bishy shark tooth boy who's a little bit handsome. But nobody gives a shit about him. Nobody wants him. I see nobody that's lusting anything about 13. 13 sucks. 13's a fuckboy. 13 would try and cheap you out on a di- Shit! 13 would cheap you out on a dinner date. Kaiman's the whole package. He's handsome. He's buff. He's sexy. He's got a great ass, a great personality. And he would go for the expensive appetizers for you. He's that much of a gentleman. Andrew, you just said a I, whole lot about yourself that I didn't think I ever wanted to know. Also, Andrew, let's be real here. Kaiman would not. Kaiman does not have taste. <laughs> he would take you to the hungry bug and order you lots of gyoza. Let's be. Real he doesn't here. have taste, but he would. He would gladly give you the good stuff. He wouldn't worry about the fancy dinner. He'd get the girl what she wants, and what she wants is to pick the fuck out and treat herself, and he'll treat her right. Okay. Kaiman's a murderer, but he's got a heart of gold. He's a great friend. He's got a great personality. And yeah, no, he's thick as hell. What about it? Are you finished? Johnny Young Bush does a good job as 13. <laughs> 13 sucks. Uh, 
Okay, I should probably talk about uh, Michael Sork. Michael Sork's great. Like, I don't get to talk about Michael Sork enough, but I I adored his dimple, which was kind of like this this villainous asshole who's a little antagonistic and just kind of becomes a big like a friendly ally to his friends in need and that's kind of what vox is where he's just kind of a doctor who's living his day-to-day -day life the best he can he's a little bit of an asshole but when you're dealing with as many like hor horrific atrocities on the day-to-day -day, you're like eh, it's whatever he's kind of an asshole but he really cares about kaiman and his crew and he's a good dude He's just trying to make his best, and he's got this very casual, like, tone of voice where it's like, ah, same shit, different day, whatever. Kaiman, just get the fuck, clean those bodies up, whatever. It's fine. But yeah, Michael Sork's got a very cool tone of voice. And he's just a very friendly... He's a friendly dude who means well, even though he's a little bit of an asshole. A lot of Kaiman's authoritative figures are these asshole dads who... In any other show would kind of be shitty dads, but they're actually very good dads to him. Vox and Tanva are basically dad figures to him. And they're okay dad figures. Especially, they're great dad figures in the world of Dora Hidoro. Boy, where, the bar is, where, the bar, where the bar is not really nailed to the ground, but is in fact underneath the ground. <laughs> they are at least firmly planted in the ground. That's where the bar is for them. They're not in the ground, but they're at least firmly planted in the ground. <laughs> Anyways, I'm done. Uh, I'm done. <laughs> this was an interesting tangent. Okay. Indeed. Uh, we're gonna start. Uh, Joseph Wims's Johnson, hilarious. I love it. I find Johnson very entertaining. Uh, and he he commits to those those yells and grunts. So good on him for that. Um, Griffin Burns, I like a lot as Kusakabe. Virtually, he just he sounds so innocuous. Like, Kasukabe feels like the kind of guy who does bad stuff, but he probably it probably doesn't occur to him that it's that bad, or if it does, it's kind of like, you know, well, oh well, sorry. I thought that would go better for you, but it didn't. Uh, there's, there's like a weird, almost, the thing with Doro Hidoro is like, it's very violent and grueling, and like half the characters have like these, like just adorable button cute faces all the time. And that feels very true with Kasukabe, who is clearly up to nothing good, but he looks so nice. How can how can he be bad? Uh, Michael Sorek, I like a lot as Vox. He's just good at being like very like gruff and kind of perpetually irritated. But like he's a solid dude. He just lives in the hole, which makes everyone a crappy person because we'll look at it. Yeah. Zombies rise from the dead once a year. They'll do things to you. That's what happens. Also, happy belated Halloween. Exactly. It's November 1st today, kids. Uh, and John, I just find Johnny very funny as 13, because... <laughs> 13 would be the protagonist of a more normal story, but this is not a normal story, so he's just this just this walking punchline he, who is suffering. It's like, he, he thinks he's cool, but he's actually the lamest it's ever been. I, it, look, he... What's it? Who's the... In Gurren Lagann, the... Guy who becomes a dictator in the back half. Rossio. Rossio. Look, Rossio. Rossio has a lot of perfectly sensible ideas that are all undone by the fact that he lives in Gurren Lagann land, which doesn't operate on that form of logic. Thirteen also has reasonably okay ideas, but he lives in Doro Hidoro land, which does not work on that form of logic. He's in the wrong show, and he doesn't know that, and so his life is hell. Mm -hmm. Sad to be him, and I think Johnny plays him very well. Yeah. Anywho. 
let's go on to our next set of characters. We're going to be talking about various members of the N family. Uh, because of course there are magical mob families in this world. Yeah, I love why wouldn't are, there be? Like, I love how these are technically our villains without really. They are villain. Vi I mean, are they? If, if, they are. If, if you ever wanted a good description of like the difference between like a villain and an antagonist, I think weirdly like this is a good example of like they are the antagonists. They are the opposing that... force. They're, 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 they're more villains conceptually than by anything they actually do. Except maybe N. N's a, N's a real piece of work, but beyond that, not really. Mm. Well, N has his reasons uh, if you if you watch that's his true. Origins episode. So. Mm -hmm. yeah. Which, is, so which his Origins episode is just a movie he made. Mm. Which it, may or may not all a... be technically true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. So we have, we have N to start us off with. We have N. Uh, he is a mob boss. Uh, his 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 magic power is he can turn people and things into mushrooms. Sometimes he'll eat those mushrooms. He doesn't really have a problem with that. Waste not, want not. Uh, he's kind of he's just kind of preposterous in general. I was rewatching the episode where there's just a bit where he's like buying this flying motorcycle that also doubles as a vacuum cleaner, <laughs> and it's just like ah, this makes sense. <laughs> this is great. Sure. Hey, Chin, look at this. My company's going to be putting this out next week. Isn't it great? <laughs> like, N is basically like a magic, super-powered Lex Luthor-type character. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to actually compare him to real billionaires because I'm sort of something-something-eat-the-rich nowadays, but that's another story it's... for another time. So I'll compare it to Lex Luthor, who's... <laughs> Kind of similar? Ends more likable than Lex Luthor, weirdly enough. Oh yeah, no, because he loves his puppy. We'll, we'll get to that. Uh, uh, we also have Chota. Uh, Chota is one of Ends' lackeys. Uh, he wears a bird mask. Um, he, he is just a, he's a big old crush on N. Yeah. Uh, which and not only does not reciprocate i'm not sure he's even aware of it frankly because n's also kind of just a, a huge screaming narcissist chota's basically the gimp well technically by going by their masks annoys the gimp but you know we'll we'll get to that okay he he's like a bird in a cage but a gimp <laughs> all right kind of like that he... uh that robin williams movie i guess <laughs> Sure? <laughs> sure. Get your culture here tonight on the Dutch Eye Podcast, kids. <laughs> um, yeah, he's, he's, he's one of N's goons. Uh, at the end of the season, he gets turned into a version of Nikaido to help Nikaido escape. And he's well, not he's very not, happy about not, that. He's like, yo, this yeah, rules. Like, well, he, he he's not he's not that into being turned into Kaido, but it means he gets to pal around with N a bunch, and he's perfectly okay with that happening under any pretext whatsoever. So, that he's okay with. Does that, does that, no, does that, no, I love how his first thing is like, okay, I'm gonna like <laughs> I'm gonna like ruin the kind of reputation, and Arthur's like, no, you won't. <laughs> no, stop that. Uh, we also have Kikarage. Kikarage is N's dog thing. He's very into Kikarage. He made Kikarage a mask. 
It's this a... is how you can tell that N, N is a delusional rich person. He cares more about his dog than most people. Yeah. like That's your typical rich person, you know. Yeah, it's like, know. here's the thing. I don't think he likes most people, but he at least, he respects his squad enough to include them in things. Oh. I will not turn you into a mushroom. I like you enough. I won't kill you and eat you today. All you have to do is put on this ridiculous outfit and dance around the campfire. Exactly. <laughs> Pretty yeah. much, yeah. Also, don't don't skip the OVA episode. It's very worth your time. Uh, and we also have two two of his lackeys. We have Fujita and Ibisu. Uh, Fujita. Uh, we, we actually start off with, um, we start the show off with Fujita and a buddy of his, um, trying to fight Kaiman into Kaido, and his buddy gets ganked, and this is kind of how all this starts. Uh, he's kind of a loser. <laughs> he's clearly not very high on the totem pole. He wears a mask that is supposed to be a Tengu, but all I can see is he just looks like Randy from The Residence, which I don't think is intentional, but it's a weird visual image nonetheless. Uh, and Ibisu is another sorceress. Uh, she, uh, uses lichen magic, she has this neat, uh, mask shaped like a skull, and she only really has one problem, which is that in the first episode, Kaimon tries to get the man in his throat to look at her, and, uh, Fujita, while trying to rescue her, accidentally yanks her out while she's still in, um, Kaimon's mouth, and she kinda gets her face ripped off. She got better, uh, though. She got better. I mean, no, I mean, no, no, I fixed Define her face. better. No, he fixed her face, but she is also clearly suffering from severe, probably brain damage for the rest of the show. Yeah. Maybe that's permanent. Um, Nicholas Dupree from ANN, I think, had a very good description. He calls uh, Noe, she's like if Gurr from Invader Zim were my sleep paralysis demon. And like, God! Yeah. You're f oh my God! Yeah, yeah you're, you're correct, Nicholas Dupree. That is that is extremely on point. Very good. Oh God, I'm, I'm just thinking. Mean, I'm just thinking of the Irbakun episode where I kind of compared like Clara to Gur. No, this is actually very Gur. You're right. <laughs> and, and apparently, Q, Q, Q Hayashida has said that she is a fan of a lot of Western media, so that may in fact be like a direct one-to-one -one influence in this instance. So what you're which... saying is, uh, Episu is Gur without any of the Nickelodeon broadcast censors, and it's. I mean, they both they both wear random Kigurumis at one point, you know. Oh God, I love her fucking shark outfit. It's so cute. I know. <laughs> Anyways, who plays these characters? Playing N, we have Keith Silverstein, who you know for a lot of things, including Koji Tanaka and Agent Robert E.O. Speedwagon in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. <laughs> I'm sorry, I need to pause a minute to laugh. <laughs> They'll keep on loving you, folks. Uh, and he plays Johan Liebert in Monster. <laughs> yep. Chota is played by Doug Erholtz. You know for such roles as uh, Kaineth Elmoy Archibald in Fate Zero, Jean-Pierre Polnareff in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, and he plays Zenigata in most of the recent Lupin dubs. Kikaruge is played by Cassandra Morris, who you know for playing roles such as Mari in The Great Pretender, Morgana in Persona 5, and Kyubei in Puella Magi Madoka Magica. Fujita is played by Bryce Pappenbrook, who you know for lots of things, including Kaito and Agent, Fusata in Blame, and Inosuke in Demon Slayer. Blame? And Ebisu. Look, blame. I know, I know it's, it's I know it's, it's spelled blame. blame, but it's supposed to be. It's clearly supposed to be. Actually, it's probably supposed to be Blamu, it's, which is the sound a gun makes. It's I, I, blam. They don't know how to. <laughs> it's blam. 
I know it's supposed to be bland. Okay. But they 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 turned they romanized it incorrectly basically huh. in Japan. The more Anyways. I know. Uh, and Ebisu is played by Christina V, who you know for playing Sheila in Beastars, Miki Makimura in Devilman Crybaby, and she is Sailor Mars in Viz's Sailor Moon dubs. Uh, Jet, would you like to start us off again? Uh, sure. Uh, so, considerably worse is Gigarage. Uh, she mostly just makes like a bunch of weird dog noises, but uh, she's. Uh, but she does a really good job of that again. I mean, again, making noises like that can be a lot of a harder skill than people give credit for, and she does a really good job at that. Uh, Doug Erholtz as Chota is a is a lot of fun. Uh, in another show, this character would be incredibly annoying because, like, he speaks with, like, this very stereotypical gay list, and he's, like, very clearly cartooning over the top, and that would be annoying in another instance, but he just feels very right at home in this show. He just has, like, the right level of camp, and I just found, like, all of his I found all the dialogue hilarious. I really like I really like the way he plays off of the a lot off of a lot of the other characters and all his interactions with Ed, where he's clearly very into Ed, but Ed isn't having any of that either because like Ed is like weirded out or Ed just like doesn't care because Ed is just far too full of himself to really notice that sort of thing. And I so I I found that sort of thing pretty funny. I just kind of like all those. I just kind of like all those little bits where he's alone by himself, just kind of like cursing the kaido and just kind of cursing the kaido, and then he's like really happy when his when his prayer supposedly get answered. I thought that whole bit was really funny. <laughs> and then like and then it's towards the end where he gets turned into the kaido, and he's literally not very happy about it, though he thinks he can use it to his advantage. And I thought that was pretty funny. And like yeah, Dugger holds it's like a real delight here. And uh, Keith Silverside is in. Uh, well, I mean, it wouldn't be a spice bread uh, without Keith Silverside in there somewhere because I'm pretty sure he has been in, like literally every single spice bread dub. Like maybe, like maybe, like there's maybe one he hasn't been in, but I'm pretty sure he's been in like almost all of them. Uh, but uh, I mean, but hey, Keith Silverside is a very reliable actor. He's very good at what he does, and uh, he's uh, and he's a lot of fun here. He does a really good job. This kind of like very arrogant mob boss. And it's like, Eddie does, a, Eddie does a good job of, like, making Ed sound very authoritative and, like, like, and, like, you know, this guy's in charge, you don't cross the boss. It's like, and, and, and it's very clear that if you cross him, you will probably get turned into a mushroom. And I also like his delivery when, like, you get the whole deal with his backstory and, like, how rough he had his childhood. Uh, his whole childhood really was kind of messed up in a sense, but, I mean, I guess it... It's, but I mean, I guess he made the most of the situation. He got his own family, even if, like... Like, and he is very clearly looking out for them in his own way, even if he is, again, pretty full of himself. And again, I do like the whole punchline that his whole backstory was sold to a movie that may or may not have been exaggerated, and will probably never know the truth. Which is, eh, which is uh, pretty funny in his own way. Did he really survive in hell for two years eating mushrooms to survive? Maybe? Maybe not. Who the fuck knows? It could happen. It's fucking Doro Hidoro. Don't fucking ask questions. Shut the fuck up. It's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, so he, yeah, so he's like reasonable to his subordinates, and I think he gets that across really well. But at the same time, he's also a guy who clearly knows what he wants and will do whatever and will do whatever it takes to get what he wants, and I think Keith gets that across pretty well too, especially when he like basically kidnaps Ikado. Which was like, I was pretty okay with Adam until that point, but that was the only point where I was like, okay, like, yeah, this is the mean mob boss, man. Like, you get away from me, Kaido. I'm sorry. 
And so yeah, I thought Keith was, so yeah, I thought Keith was a lot of fun here. He that so again, this is like a very typical Keith villain role, but Keith is very good at playing villains, so I'm glad they cast him here. Uh, so, so Bryce Papperbrook is Fujita. Uh, Bryce Papperbrook is generally known today for playing a lot of very loud or angry children leads, and he's pretty good at that. Uh, but back in the day, he was also known for playing a lot of dorky teenagers, and him being cast as Fujita kind of feels like a proper return to form for him. Uh, Fujita's basic existence is suffering, and it, as the show starts off with him literally watching his best friend get eaten by a guy with a wizard head, and things really don't get much better for him from there. Uh, whether it's Edge, Shin, or generally just Emisu, he's kind of ripped at at basically every opportunity. And Bryce just does a really good job of selling how much suffering this poor guy is going through. As he's just kind of the show's perpetual butt monkey. And but at the same time, Bryce's experience in playing Shonen leads also kind of helps to make food sound pretty endearing because out of everyone in the cast, he's probably the only one who would generally qualify as a good person. And while Bryce doesn't make him sound like outright heroic or anything, he does make him sound like a nice guy who's just kind of you know, doing his best to survive all this madness, and you kind of want to root for him to succeed. You kind of have to wonder what this guy is doing in the mob anyway, but, like, either way, you go, Fujita. I'm rooting for you, son. Fujita, in in any other show perspective, he probably would be a main character. He's just in the wrong show. He's just in the wrong show. He needs to team up with 13. They can both be butt monkeys together. <laughs> oh, he's at least cooler than 13. Come on. Yeah, I, I think that's the difference. The show likes Fujita and just likes hassling him. The show, the show thinks 13 is just a loser. 13 will <laughs> get... This show will give 13 a wedgie and steal his lunch money while calling him a nerd. <laughs> yeah. And uh, lastly, Christina V is Eddie uh, so, NBC was this very strange girl, even by this show standards, and again, I'm pretty sure she's been suffering from little brain damage since the end of episode one. And but God's sake, she's an adorable little gremlin, and Christina V does a really great job at her. Uh, Christina V is certainly no stranger to playing young girls, and she's done her fair share of Moe in her heyday. I mean, she was literally in the K-On dub. Uh, but NBC was definitely nothing like that, and she's just kind of this weird kid who's found a bunch of crazy lies in the background and busts music to child for basically existing. And Christina gets her perpetual chaotic energy across really well, perfect, and it's a lot of fun. Again, in the wrong heads, I'd be sure it could have been, like, really annoying, and she's kind of similar to Clara from Ira McCoon, and that again, she does seem like a lot of, she kind of cared a lot of folks who were into Gurr from Invaders in with love. Uh, but, uh, but Christina definitely strikes the right balance between making her weird and obnoxious, but also making her come off as a pretty believable kid and making her, you know, sound pretty sweet every now and then, like when she, and like when she tries her hardest to become Fujita's partner and then kind of fails because he takes too long in the bathroom. Which, the by the way, was, that was, that was actually a really cute scene where it's like, oh, you had one application and it was her and you could see she's so embarrassed, like, oh, damn it, no, that's cute. And then <laughs> diarrhea happened. <laughs> Ah, uh, that's such a beautiful punchline. And then I like that whole bit in the OVA where she's just like, really, where she's trying to get her photo taken and, and it's not taking her seriously. I thought that whole thing was really cute. <laughs> it's like, eh, but you, okay, but you get to the best that she's trying her best beneath all that madness and she's a pretty decent kid. If, even if, like, even if she almost was certainly the one who probably cursed Kaiman, like, the show is not subtle about that. We don't know why she did it, but she's definitely the one who did it. It's, it's her, okay. You don't know if she did it, 
but it was her magic that did it. Cause you I like, okay, okay. I mean, this, I mean, it literally because that before, like, they definitively say she was the one, so you know it probably was her. Eh, okay. Who knows? Anyways, continue. Uh, anyway, it's a pretty fun performance, and while it's a little different from what Christine is generally known for, since the tone happened, quite heard from her aside from maybe Hawk from uh, Seven Deadly Sins. She was a lot of fun. Okay. All right, uh, Hardy. Uh, yeah, let me pull up the list real quick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's see here. Uh, Kigarage is literal dog sounds. Um, literal dog sounds mixed with literal cat sounds. That's pretty much it. And seeing as how she played everyone's favorite character who is totally not a cat in Persona 5, uh, Cassandra was able to do that pretty well. Um, Chota, I think in any other circumstance, might be viewed in a very negative sense because he is very much the stereotypical homosexual type of the character. Um, but because this is Doro Hidoro, it just sort of mixes with it and just makes it work. And I don't think this, I don't think I've ever heard Doug Hurls actually sound like this ever. Um, this was a complete shock to me when I found out who was playing it. But, um, yeah, Choda's a lot of fun to listen to. Um, Fujita is suffering. He's suffering incarnate. And you kind of just want to... You, you do kind of want to root for him, but, you know, watching him suffer is kind of funny sometimes. Not going to lie. Uh, Ebisu has lost her mind. I guess that... It, if you got your face ripped off, that would happen, I would suppose. Mm -hmm. I've heard Christina play these sort of silly characters and... And she's just having an absolute blast in the booth playing this complete, utter gremlin. And uh, and she's just adorable. Let's talk about Keith Silverstein. Because when you need a megalomaniacal villain, who do you turn to but Keith Silverstein? He is, of course, Johan Liebert from Monster. But he's also been the villain in both the My Hero Academia and One Piece movies. Oh, yeah, um, I forgot. He was in both. Yeah. Uh, who else? He's been a villain in a bunch of different shows. He's Hisoka he's... in Hunter Hunter. Exactly. That's right. And uh, and so, yeah, here again, in he's definitely the main antagonist. He's definitely evil, but he's the fun kind of evil, if that makes any sense. Oh, it does. Yeah. He's like, he's the type who would put uh, lasers on top of freaking sharks' heads. Just because he thought it looked cool. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the <laughs> ironic thing about In is that, in his case, he would take the phrase, eat the rich, literally. Yes, he would. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> he would eat yeah. the rich, and he would make a goddamn good mushroom bisque. Yes. And so one of my favorite scenes is near the end where um, in you know, what Tanba makes him his own special uh, mushroom uh, pie and he takes one bite of it and goes, oh, you win the contest. And he's like, everyone's like, it's that superficial? <laughs> yeah. It's basically, okay, you made this to my exact taste. You're good. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. No, N's a piece of crap, but he's a he's a fun piece of crap. And uh, even though I hope he gets his come up at soon, I hope he, he has fun, we have fun watching him get do it. So N is much like an actual mushroom. He can be dangerous, but he can also be very tasty if you know how to cook him right. He's a fun guy. Fuck! <laughs> 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 how, how long have you had that one sitting under your head, Hardy? Uh, you know what? I didn't have it until Andrew. Uh, I was suspecting Andrew was going to make it. So <laughs> I was. I was. That's even better. I never even considered it. Fuck. <laughs> That's all for me. <laughs> a- a- Andrew, would you like to take the rest? <laughs> Give me a sec. All right. <sighs> I think I think we found our clip, guys. Oh fuck you! <laughs> shit. Ah. <laughs> uh, okay. Ugh. All right. Who wants spore? That was awful. Yes, it was. But that means I'm ready to I'm ready to take the reins. Okay. So let us start with. I'll actually be. I'll start with Kikurake because Cassandra Morris is adorable and she's a good little chaos pupper, which. Okay, what was Kikaragi's actual power again? I don't remember anymore. <laughs> it's, I, I know, it could, like, it could resurrect people. That's right. Okay, it could resurrect the dead, I forgot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I was so sought after. Okay, yeah, no. Uh, is just adorable. And I love, I love, like, when Kikaragi shows up in the endings and it's just swiping at the little bugs. It's just very cute, which... I love how all the endings in the show are different endings, and then at the very end, they straight up remix all of them into a new ending. Um, no I mean, name got paid. Like a literal Golden Eye parody. No, it's no, 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 no. It's not Golden Eye. It's it's Doom. It's Doom. It's Doom. It's straight up just end playing Mushroom Doom. Like. The endings of this are so strange, but it works, and No Name as a band got a nice check working on the show. I think they did all the music, too. Uh, they, they definitely did all the openings, and they might have done all the music, it sounds like it could be them. But they definitely did all the openings and endings, so good for them. Oh yeah. Like, you could have a whole, whole album. Um, what was I going off? Uh, Kikaragi's cute. Adorable. Pupper. Wolf Wolf. Wolf Wolf. You should go to bed. Um... I'll actually be a little bit of a dissenter on Chota. I think Doug Airholtz, this is a really fascinating, like, performance, and I think it's interesting that he's doing it. Maybe I'm a little more critical of Chota. Like, I will give some of this that this is an earlier manga, but Chota feels a little more of a less positive gay stereotype than I think I would have expected from something like Dorohidoro. Some of that might be a little bit clouded by the fact that Dorohidoro is strange in that I've basically seen it pretty much full-on adopted by the LGBT plus community as a whole. And I never see anything about this character come up from those people, and I think I know why. It just seems like a little bit more of a dated, like, jealous lesbian... Jealous lesbian? Jealous gay stereotype than... I think I was expecting from this show. I, I think it's a little... It's crazy and it's fun and it does kind of work, but it's a little bit more... 
dated yeah. than I think I was expecting. Yeah, I can see where you're breaking up. It just, yeah, it definitely does feel dated, but it felt like just over the top enough that it wasn't like super distracting to me. I, I guess that's yeah, fair. I, I guess that's fair. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think you're incorrect. I think Chota is the place where you can see the fact that this is a 20-year-old series, even though it fe- like, I think it feels very contemporary, but it's not actual. Like, most of it could be still modern day. I think Chota as a character concept is kind of where I think it shows a little bit of its age, and I just wanted to mention that. That said, Doug Airholtz does a really, like, incredibly high-pitched, like, voice. I was like, who the fuck plays him? And I would never have guessed Doug Erholtz. He does a very good job in that regard. Um, Keith Silverstein, as end, though. Um, just... God, Keith Silverstein is just a ton of fun. He's menacing. He's, he's sophisticated. He's menacing. He's very threatening. He's also kind of a dork at times because he's just got all this money and he's like, yeah, no, like, sure, uh, robot vacuum cleaner. Why the fuck not? Let's put a brand on it. Hey, we're going to have a nice party. You get a nice suit. No exceptions. Aw, Kikuraki, how are you doing, little friend? Aw, aren't you looking at you cute in your little mask? It's like, it's literally just like, okay. He, he likes his squad. He likes his fam. He doesn't care for most people. But he loves Kikaraki, and it's so cute. It's like, oh, Kikaraki. I love just him being so cute with Kikaraki. It's like, oh, damn it, you you are you are that level of rich where it's like, oh, you 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 will you like the puppers. There are good villains who like the puppers. If you're a villain who hates the puppers or kills the pupper, you're probably a piece of goddamn garbage. So Ed's not a piece of garbage, but he. He will eat garbage and turn it into fine-quality mushrooms. But yeah, no, Keith Silverstein's just got a very, like, sophisticated, intimidating voice, but he's also kind of goofy when he wants to be, and I think he really encapsulates all the right qualities for N and accentuates it exceptionally. Christina V as Ebisu is just... God, Gur really is, like, the most on-brand comparison I can make for Ebisu. It's just that level of, like, manic, dark craziness. And it's just... Christina's just adorable as Ebisu. Just the cutest little crazy gremlin child. Like... This is, like, here's the thing. I think Chota is a level of crazy that does work for Hidoro, Hidoro, but shows its age in a little bit of a less flattering homosexual stereotype. Ebisu is timeless. Ebisu is timeless any era. Just that level of crazy little demon child just living her best life, trying to make little quips. Trying to live her best. Sometimes she'll eat a meat pie off the ground and get diarrhea. Sometimes she'll just... Sometimes she'll order her dress to have bigger tits than Noe because she wants to have bigger tits than Noe. Just... Just big old flapping honkaroos just etched into her dress and she's just like, Ah, oh, yeah. I'm sexy. I'm like, ah, oh, Ah, oh, sweetheart. Sweetheart, why? <laughs> I saw that, I'm like, oh, I can't believe you're doing this. <laughs> also, in the OVA, she, like, because in the OVA, the, the whole demon ritual is, the devil uh, worship ritual is just like, hey, you, you get a male and female partner, you make them dance with you, otherwise demons stab you in the ass. 
and she's like, how do you make a man dance with you? And she just takes her shirt off. It's like, you show them your boobies. I'm like, oh, sweetheart, no. <laughs> sweetheart, no. <laughs> and God, she is just the cutest little psycho when she is just... I love when she's dressed up as the shark mascot during the baseball game. And she's just a really cute little, like, yes girl. Rah, 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 you can do it. Do your best, do your best. She's a good... She's a good left shark. She's a good left shark. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, no, Christina V's just got that crazy manic little uh, goober energy that's just she just the perfect level of chaos. And she's just she's adorable too when she wants to be, and I really like that. Bryce Pappenbrook as Fujita. You're right. Bryce Pappenbrook could be the cool guy. Bryce Pappenbrook could be the hero. Bryce Pappenbrook could be the edge lord. But there's an unsung, underappreciated art that is Bright Pappenbrook, the fucking loser. And this is a loser that is doing his best. He's a good kid. He's got good friends. He's got supportive friends, even though they'll bust his balls. He's just doing his best. He also just wants to revive his his buddy Matsumura, because he ends up in the baseball game because he wants to... Fu- to avenge Matsumura and then he finds Matsumura because as an extra player it's like hey we just have a zombie that's that guy and a bunch of corpse parts that we're just making him play baseball because what else are we gonna do with him what else are we gonna use the zombie and the goddamn cockroach man like what else can you do but baseball of course that's just Dora Hidoro Bryce is just this very earnest little doofus who's actually kind of got an emotional center at time you can tell he's actually he's actually outwardly like not okay with noi being n's partner like not because he's worried about her because it's like this dude this girl killed my friend and tried to kill you how dare you have her around and pretend it's okay like here's the thing fuji fujita's a loser he can talk back to End now. Like, he talks back to End and will sometimes question him. And End's not going to be like, fuck you, Mushroom. It's just like, nah, I-, I do it my way. Whatever. I hear you, but I'm doing it my way. And I respect that. And yeah, like, most of these characters aren't really bad people. Except for maybe En, who does kidnap uh, Nikaido and makes her sign a contract without her consent. Which... Partnerships are a two-way street. Partnerships should be mutual. Make sure you respect that. But Bryce Pappenbrook as the goddamn loser Fujita is just a great fun time. He's fun. Excellent. Where are my notes? Oh yes, and I did look up. Uh, no Name did all do the regular music for the show in addition to the openings and endings. Okay, I thought so. Anyways, uh, where to start? Uh, Cassandra Morris is, she, she's a funny dog. I like the funny dog. The funny dog was very entertaining. Woof, woof. Like, I like the bit in the opening where she chases around Minnie Johnson before you even know who either of these characters are. You said Minnie Johnson. <laughs> uh, I did, did <laughs> Uh, it goes from Minnie Johnson to Giant Size Johnson. Ooh, oh, seven God. Foot Johnson. Oh, God, a seven foot, okay, a seven foot Johnson, that that would destroy them. <laughs> I had a point. Uh, Choda. Um, yeah, 
Chodov kind of flirts into being a little, a little bunch of a Gare stereotype. I did find him very entertaining. I, 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 I kind of want to wait until I see where he goes in the show, because I feel like if he persists as this, we'd hear about it more often, but I don't know. That said, I do find Doug very entertaining as him. I think he at least he plays the character correctly for what the character demands, uh, and I'm certainly amused by it. Um... I like I like Bryce's Fujita as we said, just like he plays this loser real well and it's a lot of fun. Um Christina V is clearly having a blast as Evie Sue just playing just the most cracked out, just deranged child who whatever senses she used to have are gone. It's just id these days. <laughs> like she turns into a velociraptor and eats someone at one point, it's wild. Uh and Keith is really good as N. Like Keith is always good at playing kind of like, you know, you know, sort of classy, sophisticated-sounding villains, and it's fun hearing him take that and apply it a character like N, who is classy and sophisticated in a certain way, and is also completely ludicrous, because it's Dora Hidoro, and even the nominally serious things are kind of silly and weird and off-kilter. Um, yeah, they're, they're great. I love them. Fantastic. Uh, and now let's get down to one of, our, one of the main pairs of this show, because there are two of them. We're going to cover both. We're looking at the cleaners of the N family. We're looking at Shin and Noe. Uh, Shin. Shin's a, Shin, Shin used to not have a lot of magic powers, and then he had a lot of very extensive surgery to have magic powers, which left his arms dead, but then his arms got better. Which is why he's all sewn up in his fingers. Uh, he, he has a hammer and a mask shaped like a heart. Which he always wears backwards. I'm assuming it's because he, he maybe doesn't like... He does not see himself as N's pawn or something like that, because on the other side it's got like the mouth emblem that N has all his lackeys wear. Mm, but, uh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure I'm sure we'll find the actual reason soon. But that was kind of the one that just popped in my head. And he also has this. He's very he's very fastidious. He's more so the brains of the operation. And then we have no uh, Noe. Oh my God, uh, no No, ever, ever, the inter the internet is horny for Noe because she's a giant muscular lady who is has a very nice personality and can absolutely snap you in half if she uh, if if that's what requires. Um. Uh, she's big. She's impressive. Her mask makes her look like one of the Cenobites from Hellraiser. Which, yeah, of course, of course, Kuyashada likes Hellraiser. That that makes the most sense in the goddamn world. Like, she will break you on request. She will do things. She's also just a sweetheart and actually kind of super innocent, despite the fact that she's like a three hundred pound like Amazon of a woman that can kick your ass. Well, like well, when she first sees Nikaido, like, she's supposed to kill her, and Nikaido, like, kicks her in the stomach, and it actually hurts. And she's like, oh, do you want to be friends? <laughs> oh, wait, shoot, I have to kill you, we can't be friends. Yeah, she, she's so sweet, it's like, oh, cool, I like you, yeah. oh, I have and to kill you. And the, the ironic thing is that her powers are healing, so she yep. could snap you apart and put you back together again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I remember the, the the specific gag I heard is that the reason he, is that the reason she is so muscular is partially because her magic is healing. Yep. <laughs> she could she could just beat people up and be better at the end of it. It's you fine. also find out she she actually did devil training at some point, and she just for like a year or two just wore nothing but like three hundred pound suit of armor. I'll do it. Uh, but who do we have playing these characters? Shin is being played by Sean Chiplock, uh, you know for such roles as Dawei Han in The God of High School, Nista in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Golden Wind, and Subaru Natsuki in Rei Zero. 
And Nui is being played by Sheremi Lee, who you know for playing uh, Kozu Matsumoto in Baki, Michiru Kagimori in BNA Brand New Animal, and Tomei Kurata in Mob Psycho 100. Uh, Jet, do you want to start us off again? Yeah, uh, sure. Uh, so I've read a few of Sean Hiplock's roles over the years. I'm most used to him as Misa in Golden Wind. And uh, this performance is pretty similar in tone to that. Uh, so I see why they probably casted him here. Uh, well, a lot of the psycho murders in this show are kind of like laid back whenever they aren't like chopping people's heads off. Uh, Shin comes off as the kind of guy who's like, who really cheats his whole enforcer gig like a 9 to 5 job. Like, he's pretty reasonable most of the time and John gives him a pretty calm and reserved attitude. Uh, but if you, as well as you know, it's kind of making him sound very disgruntled whenever he has to like, pretend to put on a knack for the boss where he's like, oh man, I gotta like wear a suit and he's just like really not happy about it. Uh, but if you set him off by acting dumb or just like doing anything to annoy in his presence, the mask comes off or, well, on in this Metaphorically instance. and literally. Yeah, and he'll happily slaughter anyone in his way. And I like how offensively Sean um, sees John's performance to kind of flip from sounding uh, relatively normal to just outright psychotic on a dime and it's a lot of fun. I also dug his performance when we got a little bit of Shin's backstory and how, like, he might have been a fairly regular dude at the Neighborhood Association in a daughter witch hunt. Uh, granted, it was a witch hunt to stop sorcerers from experimenting on them, so there isn't a whole lot of uh, moral high ground in that backstory, but either way, I thought that Sean did a really good job of just capturing Shin's uh, quote-unquote descent into madness, so to speak. And I like how, like, how casually played out that even after the doctors helped him out and everything, he still just kind of grew up to be a horrible person. I just think that's a terrible, I just think that's a great joke. <laughs> Where it's like, man, we did all that and he still turned out wrong. I think they uh, kind of wanted him to turn out wrong. They're like, it's going to be fun, whatever you turn into. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, though, he does, uh, he does at least have enough respect for them that he helps him out without a second thought when he runs into them in the last couple of episodes. And uh, Sean does a good job of showing that Jin has a bit of a heart and not just the one he wears on his head. Uh, but still, the most fun, of, fun part of Sean's performance is why the game bounce off of Jeremy is no way. And because as much as Shin tries to play it cool a lot of the time, you can be a bit of a dork whenever he's reminded how hot Noe is. And it makes a lot of their interactions pretty cute, and it's a pretty it's a pretty well-rounded performance for an unrepentant cleaner, but it's a lot of fun. And now for Noe. Uh, so out of all the casting choices in the show, this one was probably the weirdest. I'm not surprised Charmy Way was in the show because she's been in a lot of Splice Bread dubs before. And like I mentioned in the ADR section, they tend to cast a lot of the same folks, so the odds were pretty high she'd be in here somewhere. Um, or I think of Charmy Lee, I tend to think of characters like Lucy or Asuna, so... Uh, you'd figure, if anything, she'd have probably been casted as Ebisu or maybe even Ikaido, since those are more within her general wheelhouse. Uh, so putting the character's noise is about as far less of that as you could get. Uh, but with all that said, she was a lot of fun. Uh, Jeremy's story sounds like if you took Lucy Hartfilly from Fairy Tale and you put her on steroids, and then you crank the butt style all the way up to 11. Uh, in a way, it's kind of like a cartoonish version of what a stereotypical butch lady would supposedly sound like. And in any other show, this would probably be off-putting, but here it just really works. And uh, while her voice is very cartoony, Dory Dora was a very zany show to begin with. Uh, beneath all the bloodshed, so she just feels very right at home here. And again, it helps that Nori is just such an instantly likable character, besides how rocking she is. Uh, despite the fact that uh, Nori, despite a lot of work she's in, Nori just 
portray the constant sense of enthusiasm about basically everything she's doing. And I think that Jeremy gets that across really well. And it just helps to make Nora even more charming. She's and just again, a Chad. It. Yeah. And again, that's the food because he is probably the character who feels the most like a good person among our villain gang. And whenever she's not bashing skulls, she's kind of being a big sister to Emisu and Fujita. And then Jeremy gets a warp across as well as he does all Nori's constant pep. And I think, and I think it's just a lot of fun. Uh, but like with Sean, the performance gets a lot of fun whenever Nori bounces off of Shin. And compared to Shin, kind of being very apathetic about his job, Nori is a lot more enthusiastic about it. And takes it a lot more serious than he does, which makes them a pretty good duo. And Jeremy uh, bounces off of Sean pretty well in a lot of their interactions. I also think it's really adorable how much respect Nori has for Shin as her, like, senior, despite the fact that their first meeting had him literally whacking her over the head with a hammer. <laughs> and, I, and, I think, and I think that Jeremy gets that respect across pretty well in spite of that, and uh, it just makes Shin's flustered out of scene even cuter, and now these sewers are cute, they should really just smooch already, just, just let them do it, you Just let them, no, not even smooch, like, I would just take them holding hands, like... Legit, just just hold hands and have like a blushed face. Look, just, just God, they're so cute. Fuck. Yeah, done. Have them do the have them do the dirty dancing scene in reverse. <laughs> oh God, yeah. <laughs> like with like Noe holding Shin up at the end. Yes. Oh, there we go. Look, look. Shin is the one getting bridled carried in this relationship, and you fucking know it. Oh, definitely. I mean, I mean, his defense, no, he's like a foot taller than him. I'm not sure he'd be able to bridle carry her anyways. Look, he makes up for it by being the big spoon. Did you have more to, you want to say, Jet? No, I'm done. Alright, uh, Hardy, do you want, you want to you want to go? Uh, am I the only one who, think that, who thinks that uh, Sean Chiplock gives off major... Vibes of both Matt Mercer and uh, Jonah Scott in this role, like yeah, more so than does. you know. Yeah, I can totally hear Mercer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, but um, yeah, I th I do like how he's able to sort of go from this, you know, laid back sort of just uh, let me do my job or. Or just get off my case. And then if someone goes to hurt Noe or one of his friends, he goes, Put gloves off, motherfucker! <laughs> and he literally puts the hammer down. Um, Into the skull. Mm -hmm. Using the other end, the one that sticks. Right. No, it's... I think the best part is like at the second to last episode where he cuts the doctor's hand off with the hammer and then he goes to say you wanted the head or you want the skull oh wait i know you <laughs> and then he, he takes the ball and gives them chips and soda so hey sorry uh, about the arm it's like no big i can patch it yeah but um you know he's a lot of fun and uh, especially it, his backstory because everybody has a tragic backstory of this, as as you find out. Um, but uh, especially with his interactions with Noe, they're just the sweetest little odd couple. And uh, I'm with you. I want to see some hand holding and blushing and uh, and dirty dancing. Um, 
but let's talk about Jeremy Lee as Noe. Because I, too, did not expect this. This is some grade A uh, out-the-box casting here. Because Jeremy has been in this business since 2007. 13 years. And shows no sign of stopping. Because she's been in pretty much every Netflix dub that you can think of as fairly uh, memorable roles. Um, if she's not the lead, then she's an important character. Um, and it just goes to show how much of a range that she has developed over all that time. I mean, I don't think I've ever heard a role from Jeremy that has ever quote-unquote sounded bad. Um, she's been miscast a couple times, I'd have to say, but she's always been able to generally pull it off. Um, so hearing her get to use her big girl voice uh, for a character who is, I, I would estimate, because she's, she's a very small woman in real life, she's probably, like, probably barely five foot, and Noe's got, like, a solid two feet on top of her. So, yeah, getting her to, getting, casting her to play this, this character, um is definitely definitely an interesting choice and in the end i do think it paid off because i think this is my favorite performance in the show or if not thief my favorite one of the, my favorite so that's all i have to say yeah uh andrew okay so i'll start off with shin because shin shin it has as a backstory and a design that almost seems like in any other show, like, there's a lot of these characters, I feel like I've seen them in other shows. I feel like Shin in another show would be... How do I describe it? He would be in the edgy Tokyo Ghoul ripoff style shows. He would be, like, the kind that was a mixed-race mixed kid, curses the world, on the run, killing, struggling to survive... That would be what Shin would be, just from his backstory. But he winds up just in a stable line of employment as a violent psycho cleaner for the mob. For the mob, and he's just an alright dude. He's just doing his job. He's got nothing against Kaiman or Nikaido, despite the fact that they are technically enemies. He's just doing his thing. He's just doing his best. And I really like the voice Sean gives him. It gives him this very kind of soft-spoken, sincere, matter-of-fact, I'm-just-doing-my-job kind of thing. But you can definitely tell when his switch gets flipped or when he gets his first taste for violence as a child. And it's like, oh, man, you see, like, the screws coming undone. You can hear, like, the violent tendencies coming out. And you can hear it in Sean's tone of voice. And the fact that he's able to switch back and forth from that is actually really cool. But he's just, he's just kind of a cool dude. He's just kind of an alright dude. And, yeah, no, his relationship with Noi is really cute. And really shockingly wholesome. Shockingly. That's the strange thing about Dorhidoro. This is a show about psycho-violent murder people. But it's also like... This is... Okay, Shin and Noe are... 
they have a body count that's probably in the hundreds. There are scenes in the show- There is a scene in the show where, like, Noe accidentally crushes a dude's head and blood gets everywhere in the car like it's a fucking scene out of Pulp Fiction. That's just their life. But their relationship is like people who would get embarrassed about asking the other to the prom. It's like, oh no, like, what if she doesn't like, what if she, what if she doesn't like me that way? What if she's embarrassed of being around me? Like, what if I dress, what if I smell weird? What if I dress like a dork? Like, what if I trip over my feet or something like that? That's the level of relationship. Their, their work relationship is that of, like, violent murderers, but they're actually really adorable and vanilla. And it's sweet. But Sean really does play all of Shin with a real exceptional level of, like, cold calculating, cold calculating badass, psycho murderer crazy man, and also just genuinely, like, sincere, cool guy who's very casual and hangs out, and you'd grab a beer with this guy. Sean does a good job. Jeremy Lee is... She is stupid talented, and she is readily, readily shows up. She's had a really strong, promising year of voice acting. But even this is a voice I'm very unfamiliar with, which... How do I even describe the tone of voice? Imagine if Lady Rhea from Fire Emblem Three Houses... had the body type of Raphael from Fire Emblem Three Houses... Which, to those of you who have never played Fire Emblem Three Houses, that boy is basically just has muscles popping out of his fucking shirt. That is the best way I can describe this tone of voice. It's like, it's a very similar, like, lower gravitas, almost very casual royalness to it. But with a level of, like, buff jock Chad, that is so strange where it's like, I'd kick your ass. Like, she's gonna kick your ass, she's gonna beat your ass hard, but she's also kinda just nice. Like, this is the kinda jock Chad character who isn't going to be mean. She's just gonna be like, hey dude, I see you're doubting yourself. I see you're doubting your looks. You're, you're having trouble with your self-confidence. You're great. Like, you've got a lot to offer. You've got some cool things. You've got some cool stuff going on for you. You know what Noe is? Noe is the Japanese fisherman that's just standing in the middle of the water that's yelling at you to never give up. Okay. That's is that a is that a thing? Yes. Have you never seen the Never Give Up video? No. It's what? I have no idea what you're talking about. It's literally just like I never give up. It's literally just a Japanese fisherman that's just standing like basically. Before the Shia LaBeouf just do it, there was just this guy who was just basically shouting, like, don't give up, don't give up, you can do it, never give up. I'm sending you this video. Just cause, like, basically, like, don't quit, you can do it, you have the power. Just, I just want to see Noe just standing in the middle of the water just shouting at you to never give up. That's Noe, she is just a friend. She is a friend. She is a good friend. And Jeremy plays her with such a kindness and sweetness to her, despite the fact that she will kill you and kick your ass. And also, let's, ju let's just say it. She's fucking fine. 
I want her to bench press me. Oh god, everybody wants to be bench friends. Everybody wants it. The gays, the straights, the lesbians. Oh god, the lesbians. Like, the lesbians want, to, want it so bad from Noe, and I don't blame you. I knew about some of her costumes. I knew about her sexy rocking dress getup. Nobody told me. Nobody told me about her fucking sexy stewardess thing she's got going when she's walking Shin's dog. Which, that basically means they're married if she's already just walking his dog. It's like... Oh my god, she's so fucking hot. And I'm just gonna say this right now, if you see that she is just a big, buff, muscular woman, and you're thinking, Ew, that's gross, I don't like that, you're a fucking bitch-ass coward, and you won't survive the winter! <laughs> this has been the Thirst Hour with Andrew. Come back next episode for more Thirst with Andrew. As we I, have found as out- as I, as I, as I, Next episode? I mean, uh, there's still the next section, technically. There still is. That's a good point, actually. I forgot <laughs> But what about I'm saying that. is, right. Jeremy, Jeremy Lay is a very talented lady playing a voice. I'm not very used to her playing. That really works for Noe, and Noe is just a fucking buff sweetheart, and I love her, and oh my god, she's so fucking hot. I'm done. I'm gonna I'm gonna quench my thirst now. Yeah. Oh boy. Uh, do I actually do recognize this video, but I only ever saw a screenshot on Tumblr, which is why I didn't recognize what you were talking about. Anyways, um, uh, I like both these performances. I agree. Sean does a really good job of just selling this thing that like this is just something Shin does to pay the bills. Like he 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 cares just enough about it to do a good job, and otherwise he just finds it kind of irritating. Uh, if his if his best friend weren't his partner, I feel like he would probably have quit already. Uh, and Sean just sells that really well. He just, you you really get the sense that like there's a there's a reality where Shin was just like a nice solid dude, um, but he's born in Dorodoro Land, so now he's um, you know he's one half of the uh, what the fuck's their name. Cleaners. No, no, that's called the cleaners. No, no he's he, I mean he's, he's Samuel Jackson and John Travolta in Pulp, Pulp Fiction. Fiction. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like I said, it, that they are very much like the Pulp Fiction cleanup crew. I mean, they are cleaners, so. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, yeah, I think Sean does a really good job with that. I think Sheremy is a lot of fun. I think she, she, she does a good job of tapping into the inner, like, sort of well-meaning meathead that is kind of inside Nikaido, like, you know, I wouldn't call, uh, sorry, Noi, I wouldn't call Noi a meathead per se, but there's that sort of, like, there's a nice beefy person, and they happen to work for the mob in this instant, but, like, you know, they want to be friends with people, <laughs> including the people they've been hired to go murder. Because that's just who she is, and she's just a lot of fun like that. See, I uh, want to give you a hug, but you're coming at me with a knife? And well, oh, that wouldn't stop her. <laughs> She'd give him a hug anyways. She she would she would give them a hug and then just bane break their back, probably. Um, and, and the interchange between the two of them is absolutely delightful. Like they're just a lot of fun. They're great. They're they're absolutely some of the highlights of this show. Uh, I can't wait for season two in part just because you know more of this. It's wonderful. But now let us get to our final characters, our protagonists. The people with who, for for if not for whom, none of this will be happening. Kaimon and Nikaido. Uh, Kaimon has a lizard head, he doesn't know why, and there's a man living in his throat. And that is Dora Hidoro. Uh, also, he wears this rad gas mask occasionally, which looks really cool. Uh, he has problems. 
And Nikaido. Nikaido's his best friend. She runs a restaurant. She feeds him gyoza. And beer. And beer. Later we find out secretly she's a sorceress, and she has been keeping this a secret in part because she is worried Kaiman won't want to be friends with her anymore. That's the- that's Which the, is so adorable. That's the conflict. Not that he'll hate her. Not like that, like, he'll want to kill her. Not that- Not that they- it, She just wants to be his friend. This is a show that is, like, basically a sign-in murder blood gore edge fest, but it's about buds. It's basically a shounen about friendship and love. Except, you know, <laughs> not. <laughs> yes, but no. Um, yes, but don't worry. If you, if you have anxiety about that thing, don't worry. It, it, it ends up okay. Just, just watch the end. Uh, and playing these characters, we have, as Kaiman, Alex Lei, uh, who you know for such roles as Zenitsu in Demon Slayer, Kaite in Japan Sinks 2020, and Kazuya Kinoshita in Rent a Girlfriend. And playing Nikaido, we have Reba Burr, uh, who is known for playing Mari Itama in BNA Brand New Animal, Numi Tahiro in Knights of Sidonia, and Keitola Baudelier in Violet Evergarden. Jet, you want to start us off? Okay, uh, so it's dark with Nikaido. Uh, so before I'll begin, uh, while I will, uh, while I say that Noi is really hot and only cowards think otherwise, Nikaido is also pretty hot, and I don't think you could go wrong on either option. It just depends on what you want out of life. They are both respectively lady. the gold and silver medals of their own show, which helps that both of their hair are gold and silver. Yeah, it just depends on what you want. Do you want a beefy lady who can be soft, or a soft lady who can also smash your head in? Yes! Uh, basically, you're against Yes! <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Ray River is an actor I've been more and more impressed by the more I hear from her, and it just adds to the pile. Uh, like Jeremy Way is Noi, Ray's Nikaido is a little on the gruffer end. Uh, but compared to how, like, Zadie of a Butch voice uh, Noi is, uh, Nikaido sounds a little softer, so it makes for a nice contrast. And in general, Nikaido just comes off as a very warm and friendly person, and Ray gets that warmth across really well, and all of the kind of interactions with Kaiman. And she has just enough pages that you can understand why she puts up in all of Kaiman's act antics and why the two of them are friends. And like and how she's just very clearly the smart one, which okay, which I mean given okay, which I mean in Kaiman's case that's not really saying a whole lot, but she's definitely the smart one. Uh, of course, uh, like everyone else in the show, she won't hesitate to slap a man in two. And while the kind of number goes uh, full on cycle like some of the other characters in the show do. And when Nikaido's ready to crack some skulls, Rima can certainly add a bit of an answer to her tone it makes. And Nikaido pretty chilling, and it's definitely uh, pretty cool to listen to. Uh, but of course, Nikaido's also a character who's hiding a lot of secrets while we don't learn, like, all the details behind them. Uh, we do get a pretty good idea of how much her former life as a sorcerer kind of bothers her. And uh, I think Rima's a liberty when uh, she tells Kaiman a little bit about a brass really sells that. And you can tell she's being 100% sincere, which it says he wants to be true friends with Kaiman. And uh, it's a really cute dynamic. I really like what Raymer brought to the table there. Uh, so as for Kaiman himself, uh, first and foremost, Alexis Lee's rage is absolutely nuts. Uh, this has definitely been his year, and while he showed he can play a wide variety of characters, uh, even knowing, uh, but even knowing that, going from Zenitsu to Kaiman is pretty wild. 
And while there are certain like little vocal tics of his that you can recognize, if I didn't know it was him in the credits, I would have never believed it. Uh, anyway, Kevin himself is kind of a weird protagonist in that you can very easily mistake him for the villain. Uh, he's pretty ruthless whenever there's a sorcerer within 10 feet of his vicinity. And even compared to some of the other murders in this show, he's the quickest to be violent in any situation. And with that said, unless this we just really get a giving Kaiman and Benjamin Ed's player seated. Uh, but Kaiman's just such a, just so much of a dumb wizard himbo, it's kind of hard not to like him. Uh, Kaiman has literally only two brain cells rubbed together, but Alex Lee does a really good job of just selling how dumb and loud this lizard boy is. And it seems that the only things that are ever on Kaiman's mind at any given moment are probably just murder and gyoza. Uh, it's weird, but it can also be really funny, and Alex Lee has some really good comedic timing for comedic timing for Gaiman. And whether it's him getting rightfully abused by some of the other characters in the cast, or just stuff like him pretending to be Tanba's wife in order to break into Ed's mansion, that, that whole thing in particular. Oh really my god, the fucking voice he uses. <laughs> that was so great. <laughs> like, uh... Okay, just just because I did break it up. It's like... How do I describe it? Imagine if Alex Lee was Ben Deskin... Was Ben Diskin playing Marge Simpson? The weird part, uh, the weird part is I can actually... The weird part is I actually can see Ben Diskin doing that. Like, that's how I describe the voice. It's so weird, but it's perfect! Anyways, continue. <laughs> Uh, anyway, it was really fun seeing Alex get to stretch his brains a bit while still keeping Kaiman in character. And of course, Kaiman, of course, while Kaiman is a murder goofball most of the time, he also is very clearly bothered by the mystery of who he is. And whatever Kaiman does sounds to be introspective. Alex can be just as good at selling Kaiman's quieter moments as he can be as all of Kaiman's constant screaming. And also, as much with Nikaido, those two just have like a really cute relationship. And uh, while it seems like Kaiman just mostly hangs around Nakata for her cooking, he really does care about her. And when Puss comes to shop, he'll do anything for her, and Alex does a really good job of making all of that feel pretty sincere. And that also makes things even funnier when he finds out Nakata is a sorcerer, and Kaiman tries. He tries so hard to be mad at Nakata, but he's just too much of a himbo to follow through on it. And Alex's delivery when he says he's cool when, when Kaiman says he's cool with saying friends with Nakata, she just never using her magic was really cute. And, uh, boy, that promise is probably gonna have an expiration date, but, uh, anyway, I thought Alex was a lot of fun. And we would have a lot of, would have fun a lot, a lot of the other performances in this show are, I think he delivers the strongest one. And if Alex wasn't on your radar before, like, literally everything he's done this year, I have a hard time imagining he won't be after this show. I'm dead. Right. Hardy? Uh, yeah, um, I'm with Jet. I cannot accept that this is Alex Lee. I think it is a lie. <laughs> I think I think Splicebed is lying to us, and they are telling us something. They're straight out telling us an inaccuracy because I can't believe it. But nonetheless, if you had told me this was, I would not have believed you. But I have to agree that yes, Alex Lee has a, an incredible range. Um, I just I, I I can't believe it. Even though I know it's real, it's just it's just amazing. Because um, even it, it's he can even play Cayman 
you have you have his moments where he's more exaggerated and it sounds more like a cartoon character, but then you also have his moments where he's very introspective, and and it sounds much more natural and deep and dark when he's trying to figure out the mysteries in his head, who he was in the past life, trying to find his uh, get his memories back. And I just think that yeah, this has definitely set Alex Lay up for and a very promising future in uh, in anime voiceover. Um, as far as Reba Burr is concerned, I actually, my favorite part of the performance, or one of my favorite part of the performance is, is when she was younger and uh, in the OVAs when she meets the old guy, the guy with the tea, meets the guy with the tea shop and, um, and her interactions with him and also her little recipe at the very end of the OVA of how she makes her gyoza. Um, I think that was really cute on her performance. She, it proves that she's not just this rough and tough lady who will kick your ass and take no names. Um, she's also very human. Uh, but another part of the performance that I kind of thought was underrated was when uh, Asu turns Chuta into Nikaido or a, a form of Nikaido. Oh, yeah. And then, and then you hear Reba do this sort of a stereotypically over-effeminate version of Nakaido's voice. It actually is pretty funny, yeah. Yeah. It's like a complete 180. It's still the same thing, but it's a completely different type of performance because it's technically a completely different character. That's one part that I really got a kick out of. So, yeah, I liked both of these performances a whole lot, and I think they're some of the best in the show. Nice. Andrew? I'll start off with uh, Reba Burr. Because I've heard Reba's range, and her range is pretty insane, all things considered. Like, she could go really high-pitched squeaky if she wants to. Because I'm thinking of stuff like Ascendance of a Bookworm and uh, Sword Art Online, Gungale Online, where she could go really high into that register. But she's also got a pretty, like, lower, deeper register, which is a lot more of, like, what we hear as uh, Nikaido. And... She's cool, she's fun, she's very goofy, and she's also really, like, threatening, like, kung fu babe, is the way I describe her, is that she's just, she's really cool, and she's, of the duo, she is the one that, she is the brains, she is the brains of this tag team duo, she is 100% the brains, Kaiman is not the brains, he is everything but... But yeah, no, Reba's got like this very like cool, like you hear the different sides of her. You hear her when she's friendly and like casual. You hear her like when she's ready to kill and kick an ass. You hear her when she's kind of brainwashed by N because of the forced contract she signs with her. And you hear her feeling much more cold and like distant. And you hear her be a lot more emotional and like open up. Like the final... Like, it's kind of a non-ending the season ends, but it's kind of satisfying to see these characters just be friends and closer with each other than they ever have been before. And it's really sweet now that everything's out in the open. They're just kind of sleeping on each other, and it's cute. And I think Reba does a really stellar job as Nikaido, who also is a badass and is very hot. And men, ladies, lesbians, everybody wants to get some of Nikaido's gyoza. 
Thank you to part two of the horny hour with Andrew. Okay, now that I'm done with the horny hour, I'm not going to be too horny for Kaiman first. That may surprise you, I got it out of my system already. Here's what I'm going to do. Alex Lee. Holy fuck. There are some dubs where you can make an argument over who is objectively the best person in the dub. Who is the best performance in the dub. Sometimes there's arguments for a couple of them. Sometimes there's a couple of scene stealers. This is a pretty good show with a very strong dub and a lot of really great performances. Nothing tops Alex Lee as Kaiman. Oh my god, this fucking guy. Unbelievable. His rage is insane. He got he is this really high-pitched goofy cartoon crocodile lizard man. He's also kind of like this really like stern, gruff and tumble, like scary mercenary badass man. He's also a very silly cartoon character. He's also just another thing that's worth noting. Alex Lee was actually a big fan of both uh, Dorohidoro before booking this performance, as well as a big fan of Wataru Takagi's uh, performance as well. I actually remember seeing something because uh, I actually follow, I believe, the project manager of this particular one on Twitter. He actually said that Zenitsu was a big factor in him uh, looking to get Alex into this role, and Zenitsu was if Zenitsu was a real impressive like performance-defining performance, Kaiman is somehow even more impressive to me than Zenitsu because it is several different characters all rolled into one giant crocodile chaos man. Kaiman is sweet. Kaiman is goofy. Kaiman is scary. Kaiman is violent. Kaiman is everything that is chaos and Dorohidoro. Alex Lee is somehow every single facet of Kaiman and is extremely convincing, compelling, fun to watch, scary, threatening, and also a dude I want to be my best lizard friend in the world. Alex Lee is insanely talented and goddamn, this is probably like in a year where he's already got, like, amazing performances, I'd say, bar none, this is Alex's best of the year. And it's... It's amazing. You should be proud of yourself, Alex. This is... This is special. I tell... I could tell there's a lot of work that went into this. You done good, kid. Also, I'm Kaiman is shaped like a friend, and he's also dummy thick. Fuck you, fight me! <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. You're welcome. Uh, uh, uh Burr as Nikaido. Like I, I'm in a groom of what's said. Like I, I think she plays this role really well. I think she covers the range of the character really well, and she just, she's just, Nikaido's just a swell, swell person, and I think Riva captures that aspect really well. Uh. And I'm agreeing with Hardy, like, 
Look, if you're at home, if you're watching this on YouTube, there's a photo of Alex Lee on your screen right now. Look at him. Does this look like the man who sounds like the, like, six-foot-tall dumb henchman from an 80s cartoon? No, no, it doesn't look like he should be able to make that voice. And yet, here we are. Uh, it's... <laughs> I'm getting flashbacks to that time that, um, Hardy accused, uh, Damon Mills of not being able to do certain voices, so he just made a highlight reel of doing a bunch of them to show off. It's like that. Uh, he's just, he's, he's so good, he's so fun, he plays this, he uses this really doofy voice in, I think, just a really effective way, and he captures a lot of what's kind of weird and cartoony about Kaimon, and also what's, like, kind of, like, you know, sad and, um, tragic about him as well, and it's, he, Alex Lee's done a lot of good for himself in, like, a pretty short amount of time, and, like, kudos to him for doing that, he's clearly got a lot of talent, and I look forward to what he's doing in the future. And that note, shall we continue to our final thoughts? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Jet, lead us off. Uh, so yeah, Dorothy Dororo is a very fun show. It is also a very weird show, but it's a show I had a lot of fun with. It. It's, uh, it's, hard to it's hard to describe what exactly the show is, but it is extremely entertaining. And it's, like, and it's also got a bit of a heart beneath all like, the crazy violence, and I had a lot of And I had a really good time in it. Uh, the dub is also a lot of fun. Uh, there's some really, there's some really uh, interesting casting choices here, and I think some energy actors get to stretch their range in some pretty fun ways. And uh, there's, there's definitely a lot of creative choice to win into this. So, so, uh, so, uh, yeah, it's a. I really recommend checking out the show, and if you do want to check out the show, it has a really nice dub. So, uh, yeah, it's a great time. Hardy. Uh, I don't suppose many of you remember an old show from around the early 2000s on Comedy Central known as Ugly Americans. Oh my god, really? I, I, I'm like. <laughs> I've been watching random episodes as they've been airing on Pluto. Uh, I kind of switched between that and A Thousand Ways to Die. But when I went back to revisit this show, I'm like, wow. These two shows have a surprisingly lot in common with each other. Like, they both have, like, direct access to hell. <laughs> they both deal in, like, <laughs> sorcerers and wizards. They both have um, what is essentially, like, civil services for demons. <laughs> I don't think it was intentional, but if you were to compare the two shows together, it's it's. They have surprisingly lot in common. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I think that this is a fun show. It's not for everyone because it is incredibly violent and gory and can be very disturbing at times. And there is eyeball humor. There is eyeball horror. So watch out for that. Um, Why'd you have to step on it? But, uh, no, the worst part was when they were at the party and they had to scoop the little demon out of it. it was like, Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, this show is extremely That gross. part, I, I, that, that I had to cover my eyes for. I'm like, no, no. Uh, but, but anyways, um, yeah, it's a fun little show. And if you've got the stomach for it, and if you've got the sort of absurdist humor that, uh, that that sort of thing you enjoy, I definitely suggest you check it out. Excellent, Andrew. Watched Dora Hidoro 
because you might not even like it. This may not be a show for you. You might hate it. But watch it because there is no other... There is nothing I can really compare Dorohidoro to as like a direct point of comparison. There's like, I can maybe mention other genres things, but it's like, I'm really stretching. There is nothing that is quite like Dorohidoro. As far as like what it is, what it is is effectively a violent gothic horror like nightmare world hellscape that is up that is run by like psycho crazy psycho magic murder slice and dice bash and bash people but they're also just the biggest friends and you want you want these people to be your friends like this is a violent scary world no one wants to live in but they want to hang out and be friends with these characters. This is a fun show. This is an insane show. This is a show that on paper should not work, but it does. Watch Dorohidoro, not because it's the show for you, but because there is no other show quite like Dorohidoro, which, by the way, you want to know what Dorohidoro means? Sure. Mud sludge. So I guess if if Pop Team Epic is the anime equivalent of Tide Pods, would this be the anime equivalent of Drano? Sure. <laughs> sure. Anyways, Dorohidoro, go watch it. It's a very good show. It's a very good dub with some really standout performances. Check it out. It's on Netflix. Go for it. Uh, yeah, like I, I like Dora Hidora a lot. It is it is I feel like these days I, I comment on things being way more my speed than they were like in anime ten years ago. I guess I'm finally being rewarded for my patience. And the zeitgeist has swung towards things I'm on likes. Uh, I'll enjoy this five year period while I can. Uh but yeah, Dora Hidora is just it's very odd and strange and feels very unique. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I think this dub is really well put together. I think this is a really fun way to watch the show. I highly recommend it. Uh, if you do want to watch it, you can watch it on Netflix. You know where Netflix is. You probably already have an account or are borrowing one from a friend. It's it's on there. Yeah, and they just go watch they it. just announced they're re raising their prices again. So it's it's true, but that's where it is. You can watch it there. You can watch us uh, in various places. You can watch us here on YouTube. Uh, we are also, you can also watch, listen to audio-only versions of our stuff. Uh, we are primarily hosted on Podbean, where you also found on um, Apple Music or Apple Podcasts or whatever it's called, and uh, Spotify, and uh, most of your, like, podcast places, we're probably on there. So you can go check us out there as well. You can also find us on uh, Twitter and Instagram and Twitch and so on at uh, Dubtalk Podcast, on whatever that site is. We also have a Patreon. Uh, where if you give us money, uh, we will thank you, and we will also read your name out on the, on the episode here. So thank you to our $5 patrons, Michelle Travis, Miraculous Corazon, Nico Robin, but with Yowie Hands, and Victor Mayaboroda. Mayboroda, sorry. Uh, and at the $10 tier, we'd like to thank Carly Lestikow, Crimson Echidna, Jacob Wilson, J2, a.k.a. Jared, Marissa Lenti, and Otaku Anthony. Thank you so much. Uh, gentlemen, will you tell the fine people where they can find you on the internet? 
And sure, you can find me on Twitter at DivineNick, uh, where I'll usually just be uh, talking about cartoons or anime or like whatever's happening in the world because the world is so on fire, unfortunately. Uh, you can also find me on my blog, Animation Infinity, where I will sometimes write things if I feel like it. And I am I'm also sometimes on another podcast, Podcast ONA, where we will usually be talking about uh, anime news or whatever alongside Andrew here. I'm Spaceman Hardy. You can follow me on Twitter at Spaceman Hardy. Uh, I used to be a, fun, a forum moderator over at the Funimation forums. They are since now defunct, but I am technically still a uh, moderator over on Funimation's Discord. Um, I usually post pictures of goats and rant and retweet tons of fan art. Uh, yeah, that's me. Hi there, my name is Andrew, a.k.a. Classy Spartan. You can find me over on Twitter at Mangaman9000. You can find me also on the same podcast alongside my buddy Jet here. Uh, that is Surreal Resolutions Podcast ONA, where we talk about the latest and greatest in anime news. I almost said anime English dubs. So I was like, wait a second, that's this podcast. Like, I'm almost confused by podcast. That's how you can tell I'm getting a little bit tired. I'm almost confused the two. Anyways, I'm done. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at, at US. Duel has to use in it. I talk about movies and comic books and anime and music. And I have a dusty old song for y'all tonight. Dusty old song. Dusty old song. Uh, well, for one, I will note... I will note that if you go on, if you go on YouTube, you can actually find a playlist that was released with the manga uh, selected by Q Hiroshito himself to go along with the story. That's a lot of fun to listen to. Um, but uh, for this, uh, way back before I watched or read Dora Hidoro, a cartoonist on Twitter I like named Joe Witz, yeah, you can find him at, at Funk the Obligation, would occasionally do little Dora Hidoro comics. And one that is very near and dear to my heart is a little one-panel thing of Noe Ibitsu and the dog dancing with a little boombox. And Noe asks, can this thing play anything other than Dragula Hot Rod Herman remix? And Ibitsu says no, and Noe says bitchin'. And you know what? That's correct. The Hot Rod Herman remix of Dragula by Rob Zombie is bitchin'. <laughs> so go listen to it. And after that, I have a, I have a, well, not a, I have a dusty old song that everybody's listening to. It's Crocodile Rock by Elton John. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. So go listen to that. Get cultured. Uh, and with that, thank you for listening. Y'all have a great evening. Rock on Boston. Rock on Chicago. And Otaku on. And we'll see you next time. Lost in Chaos. Go! Three, two, one.